Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I got a fun show today. I had friends in town. We got a lot of work done. We had a lot of fun. Uh, I was up late doing a bunch of computer stuff Saturday, uh, up early Sunday, had to work all day Sunday. So I'm just exhausted. Um, so, you know, what happens when, whenever you, you know, too little sleep, too much activity, you know, you're prone to get sick. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, uh, I'm a little, I don't sound my normal, cheerful, you know, perky self, but that's okay. We're going to get through today. That's going to sleep today. I'm going to take today off uh, after the show. Um, but uh, it's, uh, so if I, you know, this is really nice that I have uh, both Jonathan uh, and uh, Dorothy who are going to be on the show later. And, and they're probably going to appreciate getting more airtime because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say all a lot by then. I was over in the Netherlands, which is great. Um, and so I want to tell Mark, I want to tell everybody else, we're moving to Rumble. Maybe probably Thursday. Uh, I, you know me, I get, once I make a decision, I get really impatient. I want to do it like right now. You know, I think, gee, why didn't I do this a year ago? Um, I know why. I thought our biggest problem was censorship. And I don't think so. I think our biggest problem is just being audio only. Um, I don't think uh, Blog Talk has promoted our show particularly well. And so we're, we're nowhere near what we should be considering we've had, you know, guests like Robert Malone, Peter McCullough, you know, Peter Navarro, Christina Bob, you know, uh, Brandon Straka. We've had major guests on the show, Naomi Wolf. Uh, regulars like Judy Mikovits. I mean, we've gotten the top people. And uh, and it's interesting that some of the top people, I haven't done what I expected, at least I hope they would do, which is uh, talk about our legislation. That's why we're doing Citizen Legislation Day. And so that's coming up uh, January 7th. It's only about a you know, month or so, well, a little over a month away. And so lots of work to do on that. That's going to be interesting. So here I am moving to Rumble uh, and doing uh, something that no one's ever done, you know, a Citizen Legislation Day, all at the same time. <laughs> and I'm exhausted. Uh, but I, I'd say I think one good day of sleep, Get some, uh, get some vitamin D. I think I'm, I'm out of vitamin D. You know, maybe some zinc, and that'll be fine. You know, so the immune system is everything. You sleep, you eat right, you exercise, you know, then you, you can pretty much combat anything until you're dead. <laughs> In the meantime, you've got stuff to do. So that's, that's the news on that. So if I sound a little bit uh, under the weather, as they say, that's why. Uh, so as for Rumble, uh, CJ, who does uh, Rumbles herself, is going to help me out with that. So our first Rumble show is going to be Thursday. And so uh, Marco, make note. Uh, Action Radio, Citizen Legislature. It's not going to be hard to find us. Uh, we're the only one that's even close to that. I think there's some Action Radio thing, but uh, they're more like you know news branding and stuff. And in fact, that's why my initial uh, trademark didn't work because I said Action Radio, and well, that could be Action News, that could be uh, you know Action whatever. And it's just too generic. Huh. Okay. Well, went back to the drawing board, talked to my reporter, came up with an entirely new graphic, and we we created the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. Well, now that is unique. Nobody's got that trademark accepted it. It's okay. Let's work on it for like five years, <laughs> however long it takes them to make a decision. Uh, so that's where that is right now. But the good news is nobody else can touch it, and they won't because it's, it's a good trademark. It's going to work out nicely. So we got that covered. So we got most things covered. Anyway, um, it's uh, the move to Rumble. I think is going to be really good. Maybe not today because I look like hell. I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, listen, you know, Steve Bannon's my hero. <laughs> so if Steve Bannon can look like hell uh, when he's feeling good. I can look like hell when I'm feeling bad. And so that, uh, I think that'll definitely benefit us. Um, plus, you get to see all the super things I do here on my facial gyrations and, you know, manifestations and all the, all the stuff that people don't know. You know, in fact, I, I'm just crazy enough that uh, I, if people are talking, I was like, okay, be right back. I might just leave, you know, go get something from the kitchen, come on back with a banana. I mean, I would do that just because it's funny, you know. So uh, expect a lot of comedy, 
expect a lot of craziness. All the things that you don't see, you're going to. <laughs> so that's going to be, I think that's going to be all right. All right. News items. There's a bunch of items in the news, but I want to start. I want to start with the the, the big um, topic, and that is the Trump electors, which the media is calling the fake Trump electors. In fact, you cannot say Trump elector without saying fake in front of it. Well, what makes them fake? They were duly uh, voted on and uh, by their state legislatures and certified uh, by Republican state legislators. I still got the original article uh, proving all this. It, of course, it's off the internet. You can't find it anymore, but I've got it. You know, got it in text form, so it's, it's not really traceable. <laughs> you can't you can't find a link to it because I don't have a link on it. It's just text, right? So you have to uh, scour my. Maybe I shouldn't give the FBI ideas, but I still remember it. You know, uh, and it's it's true that the, the initial articles, the initial articles after the 2020 election, uh, the very first ones talked about uh, how all the counting stopped uh, and how the uh, the Republicans were blocked from observing the count. And how, uh, you know, once once they blocked everything out, you know, all the, the fake ballots came from under the tables. You know, they were brought in by truckload and they did everything in, in certain key districts um, to ensure that uh, Brandon looked like he actually won the election, which, of course, is impossible uh, because it's impossible for, uh, you know, Joe Biden to beat Donald Trump at anything. I mean, that's just simple logic. Right. Joe Biden has never beaten anybody in the national office. The only reason he got vice president is because Obama picked him. He didn't earn it through great works. There, there are no – nobody celebrates Biden legislation. He's never accomplished anything. He's a, he's a political prostitute. He takes money for influence. That's what he does. That's his job. His job is to get paid uh, to, to uh, connect people you know, behind the scenes and make millions of dollars doing it. That's his job. His job is bribery, corruption. Uh, that's, that's his industry. That's the family business. The family business is racketeering. That's what they do. But he's never accomplished anything. You know, I mean, I've written more bills than Joe Biden has. I've written more bills than the entire Congress has for probably the last 20 years because members of Congress don't write bills anymore, which is why I thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun if we did. <laughs> well, how about if we the people do that? That might be a neat idea. Let's, let's, let's see what we can do. And I think our bills are fabulous. So because that uh, and because the, uh, the other problem in conservative world is that conservative world does not want to solve the problems any more than conservative politicians want to solve the problems. So the Republican geldings are very closely associated with, uh, you know, conservative geldings. And the conservative geldings are, are not much better. I'm talking Heritage Foundation, Federalist Society, you know, all these lofty uh, groups and all these, these big writers. They, they, they pontificate and they say, oh, uh, uh, this is what we have to do to save our country. Oh, I can really do that voice today because I sound like hell anyway, right? I haven't sounded this bad since COVID. And that would have been the end of uh, December of 2019, uh, beginning of January. I, I, sh- I really should dig up those shows again. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I used to cough. So what I intend to do is save all those shows and preserve them and put them on a website, plus uh, my WBY shows. You know, I've got seven years in radio. Uh, I don't want to lose any of that because uh, you, you can tell when I start off, you know, a whole lot of mm, ah, mm, mm, ah, 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 mm, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, bing, bang, walla, bing, bang. You know, you just do things when you first start in radio. Hopefully I have curtailed that. Hopefully I don't speak quite as quickly as when I was nervous, and hopefully I do not interrupt people uh, as much as I did when I started. But those are, those are things you learn. You know, as you get into radio and you do more of it and you start listening to your own show and you go, oh, gee, I didn't mean to do that. You know, and cringe moments. Now they're still staying in. I won't, I won't get rid of my cringe moments because they're, they're learning experiences. And so I never want to uh, edit and sound, you know, really polished and professional day one because I wasn't. So I, I try to be honest as much as possible with these shows. That's why I don't edit them. You know, so what you hear is what I record at that moment. And sitting on, on the Rumble videos, I'm not going to edit them. They're going to be, you know, if I make some horrendous flub, I'll make a correction. I say, you know, I really didn't mean to say that. That was kind of stupid, which I've done on this show. You know, it happens when, you, when you're free flowing, your mind is going. 
you know, and you think, oh, gee, they think, oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, you got to correct it. Anyway, so let's get back to the Trump electors. This, that's something that is not going to go away, is, is dealing with 15 topics at the same time and flipping back between them. Now, I'm ADHD. That's just how I think. Uh, I just, you know, I, I never do one task at a time. I always do like five. <laughs> And, I, and I, I, could, I, I partially complete all five, and all five are done pretty much at the same time. But I have five things going at once, whether it's cooking, writing, you know, uh, doing something else, uh, cleaning. You know, I'll clean like five things at the same time. <laughs> you know, and very, I'll go back and I get bored, right? So I go back and forth to all these different things. And, you know, it's just, oh, God, I'm, I'm probably a study in, in classic ADHD. Anyway, so what fascinates me about the Trump electors so much is that the, it's still an issue. Now, one would assume, now, Trump never cared about the, the Brandon electors, you know, from the other states. Why? Because it's pretty well established that Brandon's electors, uh, or, or Hillary Clinton, excuse me, Hillary Clinton's electors from 2016 lost. Everybody knows Hillary lost. Lost by a big margin. So, so although they, they question it because they, Democrats always question when they lose, uh, the truth is they lost. Hillary Clinton was not as popular as Donald Trump. People wanted Donald Trump to rep- represent this country, not someone sounds, that sounds like they're their ex-wives and girlfriends. That includes women, too. <laughs> you know, so that's the problem. So, so men would not vote for Hillary Clinton. I, I said this at the time. I said men are not going to vote for Hillary Clinton. They'll never vote for her. You know, well, why, Greg? Well, because she sounds just like you know, our ex-wives and ex-girlfriends. Nobody wants to listen to that. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of trouble for that comment, but it's true. It's still true. So that's why Hillary Clinton will never go far in politics. She, she will never get male voters. Never. In fact, she won't get mo- most female voters either because they, they can't stand her either. The only people she'll get are radical Marxist, leftist, you know, socialist, uh, feminist like herself. Those are the only people that support her. Well, that's why she, that's why she didn't win. <laughs> okay? It's too narrow a, a view. I don't know who supported Brandon. I mean, how many people in this country go, you know, I really want an incompetent, you know, uh, uh, senile, you know, uh, mentally deficient, you know, and mentally degrading uh, person as president. I want to be represented by an idiot. I mean, how many Americans go around their day, I want to be represented by an idiot. I want someone that wants to take all our gas away and, and, and force us to drive stupid electric cars that, that uh, you know, cost a fortune and don't go anywhere. That's great. Let's, I want a president that's going to take away our military. I want a president that's going to open our, our border to 15 million illegals. I want more crime. I want more inflation. I want, I want you know, green energy that doesn't work. Oh, by the way, green energy is dependent on carbon. I'll talk about that someday, too. But green energy is dependent on carbon. It just is. We are dependent on carbon. We are a carbon-based life form. You know, and you, I mean, carbohydrate, the food you eat is carbon. Your body is made of carbon. Carbon dioxide goes into the air so the plants can breathe carbon, mix it with water, and form sugar. I was thinking about this in my head the other day. Maybe I should write it down here. You guys ever do chemistry? Chemistry is kind of fun. So let me see. Let me, let me do a balanced equation. So this goes back to like high school and college fresh chemistry. So H2O and plus CO2. CO2. Okay, so we've got, uh, we've got two atoms of hydrogen and one of oxygen. We've got one of carbon and two of oxygen. CO2. So it's O2. So you've got three atoms of oxygen, one carbon, and uh, two hydrogen. Huh. Okay. And that's got, and sugar is C6H12O6. Uh, oh, <laughs> Marco doesn't have his audio tuned on. Well, you just listen to the podcast, Marco. I'm, I'm, going, I'm doing chemical formulas here. So that, is C, that equals C6H12. H12O6, which is glucose, all right? So, so plants form glucose, we do too. So we take carbohydrates and break them down into glucose, C6H12O6. Well, we've got three atoms of there already, so we need to add, you know, we need to put some more, we need to basically double our oxygen. We need a whole bunch more hydrogen, and I'm not sure how it's going to work out. It's going to be a lot of hydrogen and carbons. We need six of them, so we're going to have six 
Uh, anyway, but, but that's, yeah, I can't do it now. That's <laughs> why so I did fail chemistry, I think, or nearly failed it. But anyway, that's the basic formula is water plus carbon dioxide, you know, with photosynthesis creates energy and sunlight, uh, and it mixes together and eventually form uh, glucose, C6H12O6, which is sugar. It's also a carbohydrate. Okay. That's how it works. Okay. Well, that requires carbon. <laughs> okay. In fact, carbon's half of it. You know, water and, and carbon dioxide. You know, you put them together, and plants take that through photosynthesis and make food. Okay. Make carbohydrates. Well, we eat that food, <laughs> and we burn carbohydrates. And I've, I've explained this before, too, that plants, when they go into the ground, you know, stay down there for a long time. You know, heat, pressure, you know, eventually uh, form hydrocarbons. You know, because the oxygen, I don't know where, I guess the oxygen gets, gets squished out of it. We mix those hydrocarbons, in other words, oil, coal, and natural gas, um, with oxygen in a, uh, in a piston, in a, in a cylinder, or a jet engine, um, or any number of different ways of doing it, and you get combustion. Well, that combustion, you know, ex- uh, releases heat and expands. Well, the, the gases expand, and as they expand, they push pistons, move jet turbines, and do all, all that kind of stuff. And you get motion. You get energy, right? So a dynamo in, in a power plant is basically the same thing. You know, you heat steam, steam goes through the turbine blades, and they spin really rapidly, and that creates electricity, right? That's how it works. But if you take electricity and put it in an electric car, you're just stuffing it into a battery. But that battery is ultimately dependent on carbon dioxide. So these, because carbon dioxide create plants, plants create, you know, the, the organic fuels, not fossil. We're not, getting, we're not powering our society on dinosaur bones. You're not. T-Rex bones are not enough. You know, you can't, you can't grind them up and make energy. You just can't, okay? It's, it's organic, algae, plant material, billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of tons for a whole long time. That's what makes it work, okay? Anyway, I digress. So <laughs> let's get back to the Trump electors. Uh, it's kind of fun being all over the place, actually. I'm sure Marco's going crazy in the Netherlands. Great, what the hell are you talking about? All right, so anyway, so it seems to me that, that Biden, uh, who got up there and made promises to destroy this country, to send our jobs away, to bring in millions of illegals, to destroy our military, to make everything woke, to uh, ruin the economy, uh, and, and all this, that's not a platform that's going to get you elected. It's just the opposite. It's going to get you thrown out of town, right? So the idea that Biden could win on a platform that Americans hate with a passion, that's, that's irrational, <laughs> Okay, some people say, well, there's no proof that uh, Trump won the election. Yeah, there's proof. Biden's platform. Americans would never vote for that. So they had to steal the election. See, the government did want that, right? The government. So, so this is what happened. And, and so I've got to write this article. Although I, I might switch to, um, is it rounds? Something like that. Anyway, Rump has their own uh, news service because not enough people are subscribing on my Substack. So, yeah, you know, had enough of that. I'm, I'm going to go where the action is. So I'll, I'll, I'll probably move over to rounds and have uh, moved my articles over there. Every time I change uh, an article source, it's great because I get to repost all my old, old ones. I get a new audience. It's like, it's fresh for them. It's old for me. I've seen it like four times. Anyway, so how is it that anybody could think, there's only two kinds of people you know, that, uh, that, that think Biden won the election. One, total morons and idiots. And two, people who are lying. Okay? And, and the people in government, they're lying. They know Biden didn't win. Uh, that's why they had to steal it because it's such overwhelming evidence that they stole the election. All right? It is everywhere. Now, they've tried to suppress it everywhere possible. But what's so fascinating to me is that they're still talking about the Trump electors from 2020. So if Biden really won the election, then those electors don't matter. They don't count. And yet they're going after them. They're persecuting. They're prosecuting them. The FBI is, is raiding their homes and seizing their phones and computers. Why? Because they're viable. And there's a, there's a constant media campaign. There's a media campaign out there saying that they're not viable. Well, if they're not viable, why are you people fussing so much over them? All right? What would Shakespeare say? Methinks thou protestest too much? 
Uh, so the Trump electors are fake. No, they were actually voted on by the state legislatures. They're perfectly viable. And if the if it, you know, and, and why are you worried about them? If Biden won, what are you worried about? It doesn't matter what the, the Trump electors did. It does matter because the Trump electors is the one way to expose the entire fraud of the 2020 election. Because the battleground states, if those Trump electors ever get certified, everything Biden did and everybody that supported him and everybody that contributed and everybody that participated in this coup d'etat, the least that's going to happen to them is that their, their reputations will be completely shattered. Nobody will trust them again. Nobody will believe them. Democrat Party will be ruined by this because everybody will know that they lied for years, consciously, intentionally, lied for years. So it's just like, what does a murderer do? Clean up loose ends, right? So in other words, for a murderer to be successful, you have to clean up the loose ends, right? Well, that's what this is. Getting rid of the Trump electors is cleaning up the loose ends. As long as those Trump electors are out there, they can correct the election, and Trump will be declared the winner, the, the proper winner. That's what has to happen. We cannot have generations of Americans believing that Americans at this time in our history were so stupid that we vote for a complete moron who was, uh, you know, who was hell bent on destroying our country. Um, actually, uh, or at the whim of Obama. So with Obama calling the shots, Brandon, you know, being this uh, completely mentally deficient moron, um, and and the sad part about this is they're letting it happen. Anybody who could do anything about it. Why didn't the Republicans boycott Congress uh, as soon as Brandon was declared the winner? Well, because a lot of them voted for him. They voted away the Trump electors. Why did they do that? Why didn't the Republican Party say, wait a minute, that's not going to do. Why didn't people leave the Republican Party in droves? And I've thought about it, and I keep, I keep thinking about it. I think about it every day. And the only problem is I wouldn't be able to vote for Trump in the primary. I want to do that. Then I'll leave the party. Because <laughs> after, after Trump, after I vote for Trump in the, uh, in the primary, there's no reason to be a Republican. None. Because they're a bunch of geldings. So why are these Trump electors so, so dangerous that they have to be persecuted, prosecuted, declared fake? Now, here's the thing. I did, a, I did an internet search. And I spent uh, some of Saturday, some of Sunday uh, looking for stories on the Trump electors are real. And guess what? Only the one that I got from uh, way back early in, uh, well, uh, in the 2020 election. So after, between November and uh, November, December of 2020, the only decent articles written about the 2020 election. Everything else after that, especially after January 6th, everything after January 6th is pure propaganda. Can't believe it. N- none of it's true. But the good articles, which are still out there, a few of them, I know one that isn't because I've copied it. <laughs> you know, in fact, I'm going to copy a couple more today just in case because uh, I got some I got some good ones out there. But the way it works very simply is the Constitution says the state legislatures shall appoint the electors. End of conversation. If the state legislatures appoint Trump electors, those are the correct ones. It's the branded ones that are the fake ones. And we've been over this on the show many times. But it keeps coming back. And it's fascinating to me that it keeps coming back. In other words, they won, but they have to keep declaring their victory. So what are they worried about? What are they worried about? Why do they keep, why do they keep declaring their victory over and over and over again? It's because they didn't win. And they know they didn't win. This is like a confession. All right? It's like when someone says, uh, uh, you can't prove I did that. Well, you just proved that you did do it. <clears throat> because if you didn't do it, you'd know nothing could be proved, right? So that's a confession. Whereas an innocent person says, I didn't do that. What are you, crazy? Get the hell out of here. And they don't worry about anything because they know they didn't do it. That's what an honest person says. A guilty person says, you can't prove that I did it. In other words, they did it, but they're, they're relatively safe in the knowledge that you can't prove it. doesn't mean they didn't do it. 
Okay, so in other words, it's like an, they admit that they did it, it's just, but the, the but they say that you can't prove it, <laughs> which is really fascinating when you think about it. it. To me, that's hysterical. This is the same thing here. You can't prove the Trump won. Why would that even be an issue? <laughs> if Brandon won, free and clear, in an honest and fair election, that's not an issue. But apparently, it still is, right? This is this is why it's so fascinating to me. I'm feeling better. Maybe talking politics, you know, makes me, uh, you know, helps me out. All right, so let me let me see if I can pull a couple of really bad articles. Let me get you the good one. All right, we'll start with the good one. Knightsbridge, uh, December of 2020. Article titled, The Seven Battleground States Each Sent Republican Electors That Voted for President um, Trump. Uh, it's a little, it's by Paul Ebel, Ebeling, uh, and I don't know the exact date. It kind of got a little messed up here. So the seven battleground states each sent Republican electors that vote for President Trump. So let me just read it. So the article says, this is December of 2020. So it's the month after uh, the stolen election. This is how it works. Presidential candidates in the United States are win elections by winning the most electoral votes. The electoral college system apportions a certain number of votes to each state. When voters in a state vote for a party's candidate, they are casting a vote for that party's slate of electors. Those electors vote, those electoral votes are counted by Congress. If a candidate gets 270 or more, he wins the presidency. Well, not necessarily he. And it says on 14th of, uh, on uh, 14th of December, seven, on the 14th of December, right? Seven states sent a slate of Democrat electors, uh, a slate of this didn't transfer as well as I thought. On on the four, on December 14th, seven states sent a slate of Democratic electors. Uh, they chose Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. Republican electors also cast votes for Donald Trump. Okay, so now you've got a situation where you've got Democrats in the state legislature voting for Biden, you've got Republicans voting for Trump. Well, that's a split slate. Now, you think if it was a free and fair election, this wouldn't be an issue that the person who won the majority of the electors would be the person they put forward. Well, they're saying that Brandon got the majority. But, so if Brandon got the majority, why are these Republicans voting for Trump? Well, because they know the election's a fraud. <laughs> it is the only way to, uh, to make their case. And the seven states, seven states to keep popping up over and over again, the states that are investigating Brandon electors, it's not the states where Trump clearly won, or where Brandon clearly won, which I, well, California, a few other Democrat Marxist wastelands, right? These, they're only the states that were in contention. Arizona, uh, New Mexico, Nevada, Michigan, Minnesota, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. Do you think it's any coincidence that all of the lawsuits, all of the indictments are only in battleground states where they have Trump electors that were certified by their state legislatures? You think that's a coincidence? No, that's the that's the key to the whole story. They have to ensure that the Trump electors that were voted on, that were duly passed by Republican state legislatures, never see the light of day, because if those are ever certified again or brought forward, uh, the election, the fraud's over. So the problem with the coup, the problem with the coup, and I'm, I'm kind of new at coups. I've never seen one before, right? Not firsthand. This is my first coup that I'm living through. Folks in third world countries get this all the time, so they're used to it. We're not. <laughs> so the way a coup works, apparently, is you have to maintain the lie. And you have to maintain the lie every day. And I've said this before several times on the show, that yesterday's lies you know, are, are maintained by today's lies. Today's lies will be maintained by tomorrow's lies. And the lie is that the Trump electors are fake. They always say fake Trump electors are fake electors. But they're not fake at all. They're perfectly genuine. See, that's the lie. That's the lie that, that pulls all this together. They're not fake at all. 
the real the real elections duly voted on by their states, which the Constitution gives them authority to do. Now, normally you don't have a situation where the state legislatures split like this, but they did because they knew the elections were fraudulent in the battleground states. Why? There was such massive vote fraud that the Republican legislators said, you know what? There's no way that Brandon won this state. It's impossible. Didn't happen. We're voting for Trump. And they can do that. You know, in fact, they don't even have to hold an election. <laughs> they can, the state legislatures can simply nominate uh, electors as if they, the party has the majority. They can simply nominate, you know, electors, which are the number of representatives and senators and uh, governor. I forgot exactly how they, they constitute the electors. But that's how it works. Then it says, uh, if those electors, those electoral votes are counted by Congress, if a, con- a candidate gets 270 or more, he wins the presidency. Okay, here's the problem. All it takes is two or three of those battleground states to have their Brandon electors decertified and the Trump electors put forward and Trump's over 270. That's the big fear. That's the linchpin. That's the key. That's the key to this whole thing. If it ever comes out that the Trump electors get certified, which they should have long ago, right? But if that ever happens, that the Trump electors get certified, the Brandon ones get decertified, Brandon the coup is exposed, and he's out of office. Prove that he didn't win. <clears throat> Excuse me. Proving that everything he did from the minute he said, I solemnly swear, which, of course, he doesn't because he can't. He's not president. From the minute he took the oath of office to now, everything that he did was illegal. Even being in the White House was illegal. Everything. Everything he signed, everything he did, everything he authorized, everything he said, everything he proposed, everything. It was all illegal because he never should have been there. He lost. That's why this is so fascinating. Let me get back to my article. This is, this is from Knightsbridge. This is the one you can't find anymore. This is why I, I, I put it on my, my, uh, my computer. It says, uh, on the 14th of December, seven states sent a slate of Democrat electors uh, who chose Democrat presidential nominee Joe Biden. Republican electors also cast votes for President Trump, thus creating seven sets of dueling electors or alternates. Both groups are sending certificates of ascertainment, in other words, they're certifying, uh, to Congress, which is slated to convene in a joint session on January 6, 2021, to count electoral votes. Got the stage? This is, how, this is how it shakes out. Okay. So the states that had dueling slates of electors, they sent, those, they sent them both into Congress. Well, this is, and we explained this before. We've explained it before. This is from Mike Pence. Was duty-bound to send them back. So they sent slate. He says he couldn't do that, but of course he could do that. The Congress changed the rules. So the states can't do that anymore. They can't send dueling slates of electors. Why? That's how they maintain the coup in future coups, right? So if future Democrats win by fraud, uh, they've already got the laws in place to maintain the fraud. It makes it easier for them, right? That's why they passed that new law. And so this is, this is really fascinating. <clears throat> so there are three chances, and we've talked about this before. The first was that the election should have been uh, re- uh, held immediately because it was total fraud. The second was that the uh, Trump electors should have been certified uh, in the battleground states. The ones that came from the state uh, state legislatures. The third was that Mike Pence should have sent them back to the state. And the fourth was that January 6th, they should have counted fairly and not staged um, an invitational walk-in up top so they could make it look really bad and twist arms below the Capitol and have them all come out, you know, crying and whining for Brandon. All right. Now, that's basically it. Here we go. In this election, there is historical precedent, and each of the seven states, there is pending litigation challenging the results of the election. <sighs> what happened to that? Well, the judges threw it out, right? Lack of evidence. Did you look at the evidence? No. Why not? 
I didn't want to. Then I have to look at the evidence. I can't do that. If I'm going to rule there's a lack of evidence, if I look at the evidence, I'll see there is evidence. So by not looking at the evidence, they can rule that there's no evidence. See how it works, right? That's Orwellian doublespeak for you. Anyway, so it says uh, in the election, there is a historical president. The electoral votes have been officially anyway, – let me go back a little bit here. Oh, and each of the seven states, there is pending litigation challenging the results of the election. So the so litigation in Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Michigan, Minnesota, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. Those are the seven battleground states, right? Those are the ones that uh, they committed the fraud in uh, to push Brandon over because they know those are the seven states they needed to get 270 by fraud. And the easiest states with, with uh, liberal areas where they could do it. Maricopa County, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, I think Vegas, you know, Nevada, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, Detroit, Michigan. These are all the liberal cities, right? Uh, Georgia would be Atlanta, and Pennsylvania would be Philadelphia. So they put, picked all the liberal cities, and uh, that's why they do the fraud. Well, it's pretty simple to understand. Then it says the electoral votes have been actually counted, and the votes having, uh, have been sent along. There is nothing to be done until the matter gets to Congress. Right? So wait a minute. Well, that, that seems pretty straightforward. So the Republican legislators send, Republican, send Trump delegates. The Democrat governors send in, you know, Brandon delegates. Well, we've got a conflict here. Well, it can be settled in court, which is bad, but it should be settled in Congress. But then Congress refused. They held a coup, and they picked the Brandon electors. Right? Rather than actually settle and debate it like they should have done, they participated in a coup. Fascinating. Then it says in three of the seven states in question, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Republicans control both the state legislatures while Democrats hold the governor's posts. Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, Republicans control the state legislatures. So when the Republican state legislatures put forward Trump electors, those are the ones you have to count. But they didn't because they broke the law, right? That's what a coup does. It breaks all the laws. Then it says in Georgia and Arizona, Republicans control both um, the governors and the, the state legislature. So Georgia and Arizona, it should have been pretty easy, except that the, the governor in, in Georgia is a total traitor. <laughs> you know, Kemp, never Trumper. Then it says Republicans control both, and New Mexico and Nevada Democrats control both. So don't count on, on New Mexico or Nevada, because the Democrats control all the state legislators. But even so, the Republican legislators in those states still put, still put forward uh, Repo- Trump electors, but they'd be outvoted. So you're really looking at five states. Uh, where this is, this is going to happen. Georgia, Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. That's where it's going to be interesting. Oh, no, excuse me. Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. One, two, three, four, five. Those are the five. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona. Those are the big states, right? And any three of those would put Trump over the top. That's why they have to maintain the coup. This is all about maintaining the coup. All right, da, da, da. And this is acceptance of either slate would then require a concurrent agreement in both the House and the Senate. So if the House and the Senate take the Republican electors uh, in the state legislatures who voted for Trump and say, oh, we're going we, to honor the Trump electors because the state legislatures control. That would have been the constitutional thing to do. Trump wins. It's not a conspiracy. It's not some mystery. It's very simple. It's the constitutional procedure. So they had to get around the constitutional procedure and lie to you. They had to lie to you, all right? Well, let's, let's take, I'm going to take a quick break here, and I'll come back with some of the, because lies are hysterical. Starting with PolitiFact, what you need to know about the Trump fake electors. <laughs> it's really funny. All right, what time is it now? It's uh, 7.31. This is a good time for a break. And I'll drink some water. And actually, I'm really happy my voice is holding out, so this is a good thing. All right, back in a minute. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215 
Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. friend who came up with Dangerously Cool uh, about a week or so ago. And so not too happy about that, as you can probably imagine. But yeah, so I always like to give credit 
uh, all the folks that have helped us out here with, with great things, great uh, inspiration. And it, it's quite fascinating that, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm one big happy family. So, uh, and I've lost more friends too, you know, uh, our webmaster to uh, hospital ventilator, uh, Dr. Pry, you know, our, our national security uh, reporter to uh, the COVID shot. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's terrible, but uh, that's what's going on. Me, I'm just a little sick today. <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Actually, I, I, I thank God for being remarkably healthy. Um, most of the time. So uh, don't have a problem there. Thanks, God. Appreciate the help. All right. Politifact, P-O-L-I-T-I-F-A-C-T. That implies that they're talking about politics and facts. That would imply that what they're saying is actually true, but it's not. It's not even close to true. It's, it's, in fact, it's a total lie. But that's what makes this so much fun is pointing out all the lies. So let's get their lies out. So I've already been over the Knightsbridge article that you can't find anymore that actually tells you what happened, that uh, uh, Republican legislators uh, put forward Trump electors and uh, Democrat legislators and uh, uh, governors, you know, put forward uh, Brandon electors, which are completely fraudulent. That's my contention. Then it says what you need to know about the fake Trump electors, not the Trump electors, the fake Trump electors. Well, what about the real Trump electors? They don't, they don't even think about that. And what I find so fascinating is that universally you cannot find a story that the Trump electors are real. You cannot find one. The propaganda is so good. The propaganda is so well orchestrated. Propaganda is so universal that you cannot find an article, at least I can't. I've been looking for two days. A single article that says, no, you know what? The, the Trump electors are real. Can't find it. Well, why would that be? Well, because the coup can't allow that. All it takes is one article saying, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, nah, I think you guys are lying. This is why it's going to be so much fun to be on Rumble because, uh, cause, oh, I, I, think, I think we'll get more um, people uh, watching by simply stating the truth that we state here. Goes, I can't believe you said that. Was well, that true? Yeah, it's true. But you know me, I'm pretty fearless, so I don't care. I'll, I'll just be doing it. To, in fact, I won't have the headset and the microphone. I'm just going to speak. Apparently, my computer is good enough. I, can, I don't need the headset and microphone. I can just talk to you like a real person. <laughs> That's going to be fun. What you need to know about the fake Trump electors, PolitiFact, and the article is from Amy Sherman. God, what a liberal. Looks like a liberal. January 28, 2022. This is a year ago. So the election was two years before this, right? So January 28th would have been two years after the inauguration, January 20, no, actually a year after. And then, and then it says the, an alternate slate of electors nominated by Republican Party of Georgia uh, cast electoral votes for President Donald Trump at the Georgia State Capitol on December 14th. At the same time, the official Democrat electors met. Wait, 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 uh, hold on a second here. Wait a minute. So the electors for Donald Trump are fake. But the official Democrat electors met. You see how this works? This is how the propaganda works, all right? So the Republicans are fake. The, the, the Trump electors, the Republican legislators, they're fake, okay? The Democrats are real. That's, that's the coup. That's what the coup is telling you, that, uh, that you can't believe. And, and Amy Sherman, I've heard that name before. Well, Amy Sherman, uh, I'd love to get you on the show and talk about this. <laughs> Probably not. Then it says, if your time is short, in other words, if you have the attention span of a gnat, They've summarized it for you so you can know what's going on. They say soon after the 2020 election, legit electors, oh, there's that word again, legitimate electors, not, not fake Trump electors, but official Democrat Brandon electors, legitimate. So these, they picked a different word to say the same thing. So the first time they characterized the, the, the Brandon electors as official. The second time they characterized them as legitimate. But there's no backup for that at all. There's no, there's no evidence that they're legitimate. They just say it, right? You're supposed to assume that because they said it, Polit- Polita fact. This is a fact-based article. That's what the website says. These are political facts. You can't dispute them. <laughs> yeah, I can. <laughs> you can put like a lot. 
Then it says, uh, legitimate electors sign certificates showing Joe Biden. Soon after the 2020 election, legitimate electors signed certificates showing Joe Biden won? Wait a minute. What do you mean showing Joe Biden won? Either he won or he didn't. Showing that he won? Well, how did they do that? Did they fake? See, this is why they trip, this is, these people trip themselves up because they know they're lying, right? So if you read this stuff carefully, the lies come right out to you. It's really hysterical. So saying that uh, certificates showing Joe Biden won, well, you wouldn't have to show it. It would be obvious, right? If those were legitimate electors, you wouldn't have to show it. But they don't say that because they, they know that Joe Biden lost. And they, have to, and they couch the language to make it look like he won. That's why they always say you can't challenge the results of the election. Wait a minute. What about the election itself? Well, they don't want you looking into that. They, don't, they want you focusing on the results. And then you can't challenge the results. Well, if the election is fraudulent, then the results are fraudulent too, okay? But you're not supposed to make that leap, that little leap right there. This is on the same day Republicans signed additional certificates falsely declaring Trump the winner in their states and sent the documents on to the National Archives. Well, wait a minute. Do you mean to tell me that Republicans signed false certificates? And nobody, nobody said, hey, guys, these are false. We can't do this. Nobody in the Republican Party stood up and said, you know what? These are, these are all false. Apparently, they all voted on it, and they were fine with it. What does that tell you? And they sent it to the National Archives. Well, then the National Archives say, wait a minute. You, you can't do that. Uh, we've decided the Brandon one, so we're only going to take the Brandon electors. You, you can't give us Trump electors. I think that's pretty much what happened. Actually. I'll, I'll, I'll keep reading. So what I'll say is soon after the 2020 election, legitimate electors, <laughs> in other words, Brandon electors, Science certificates showing Joe Biden won. Showing. Not proving. Showing. Okay? Words mean everything. On the same day, Republicans signed additional, additional not, not just certificates, but additional certificates, right? Those, those don't count. It's because they were additional. The legitimate ones were signed by the Democrats. The additional ones were signed by the Republicans. See how the propaganda works? It was really quite fascinating. Declaring Trump the winner in their states and sent the document, documents. They didn't, this is a papers. Signed the papers? Yes, so they sent on the papers. No, they said documents. Well, if they're documents, they can be documented. If they can be documented, they can be proven, either legitimate or false. But they don't say that. They say the Trump elector, the Trump documents are false. The Brandon documents are legitimate. That's what they're saying, with no proof whatsoever. And then, and then it says bullet point number two. A watchdog group filed a public records request to obtain the phony GOP. Oh, phony? You don't know if they're phony or not. You just said they're phony. Well, if they're phony, how, could, how can certificates be phony if the, the state legislatures voted for them? And of course, they can't. They're legitimate, right? They're official. <laughs> to use their words, right? They're not phony at all. But they have to, every time they characterize anything Republican or Trump, they have to put a word in that completely delegitimizes it. Phony. Um, falsely declaring. But anytime they mention a Democrat, they have to say, they have to, you know, push it up. You know, official. Legitimate. So the words are everything. This is a watchdog group who's, we don't even know who they are. It's probably a Democrat group. Filed a public records request to obtain the phony GOP certificates. I should have just said the GOP certificates. And the records were posted online in March 2021. Well, if they're posted online in March 2021, then we can check whether they're real or not. Right? Because they're posted. <laughs> There's no follow-up here. Then it says multiple state and federal officials are investigating the phony electoral certificates. The January 6th committee recently subpoenaed some of those people who signed them. So the January 6th committee went after anybody that voted for Trump. Uh, the FBI and the DOJ is going after anybody that voted for Trump. So what this means is that voting for Trump is illegal. That's what they're saying. This is the conclusion I'm coming to. Voting for Trump, as far as the government is concerned, is illegal. Saying that Trump won the election, which he clearly did, is illegal. 
well, what kind of a communist dictatorship is this, right? Well, they can come on and say that, uh, well, no, we, we know who the real electors are. The Democrats are the real electors. The Trump ones are the false ones. Well, it's a bunch of BS. Then it says, several weeks after the 2020 election, groups of electors gathered in state capitals. Electors, not fake or, or, or legitimate or fraudulent. This is electors. Well, that's it. That's, so this part is probably true. This is the text. This isn't the bullet points that you're designed to read and then move on. So, so, so we're actually going beyond the propaganda. Several weeks after the 2020 election, groups of electors gathered in the state capitals to sign certificates affirming which candidate won their state, a routine step in the process of a president taking office. But on the same day, December 14th, see, December 14th is like the key to this whole thing, right? So the election was a fraud. Uh, December 14th was also a fraud because they, uh, they uh, in fact, in Michigan, the state police wouldn't let the Republican electors come vote. I'm sorry, you can't vote. Only Democrats can vote. Well, it's vote fraud. That's a coup. That's a conspiracy. It's illegal. <laughs> they got the videos of it. Anyway, then it says something unusual happened in several battleground states where Joe Biden had defeated President Donald Trump. But you can't assume that. If it's a battleground state, how do you know? Until everything's checked and audited. You don't. They're just saying that, right? This is representatives of the losing side. Again, Trump. Anytime, so the, now they're characterizing Trump as um, to, to, to say Joe Biden defeated Trump. Okay, then they say representatives of the losing side. Of course, that, they're, they're trying to say that Trump also decided that they too would gather as purported electors, not real electors, purported electors. They're not purported, they're real. To scientifics falsely uh, attesting to falsely? No. How can you falsely attest? If you attest falsely, that's a lie, right? They're swearing. They're, they're affirming. They're putting their signature. They're raising their right hand, saying that Trump won. That's not false. Now, they could be wrong, and you can still check that out, but, the, but, the, but, the, but they're not falsely attesting. They're attesting honestly. Now, what they're attesting to could be false. I doubt it, because I think the Democrats are attesting to is false. That's why they have to go after these people. So why are these electors so dangerous? This is November 27th, 2023. In another couple of months, the 2024 campaign is going to get cranking up with primaries and everything else. And they're still talking about the 2020 electors. Isn't that fascinating? So the question is, why? Why? Why are they bothering with the 2020 electors? Well, wait a minute. Why are they bothering with him? If Joe Biden won the election, which he didn't, and he won it fairly, which he didn't, and the Trump electors don't count, which they do, why are the Democrats bothering with him? Why are there, why are there lawsuits and indictments and prosecutions going on in the very states where the Republican legislators put forward Trump electors? Because they have to make sure that the 2020 election is never corrected. Coup, as I'm learning about coups, I've never, like I said, I've never seen one before. I never lived through a coup. The coup has to have a constant lie and maintain that lie every day. And the way they first of all, they maintained it with January 6th. Then they maintained it with the January 6th committee. Now they're maintaining the lie with all these bogus lawsuits and, uh, uh, and court cases. All right. They also maintain it by going after the Trump electors, the legitimate Trump electors, to maintain the coup. It's all about maintaining the coup. That's all it is. It's fascinating to me. Uh, let me see if I can find another really bogus, disgusting article. Because <laughs> some of these are fun. Jonathan's going to be here. That was bogus. That's why I found it. Let me give you a couple more. Just to show you how bad this is, right? Here's another one. NBC News. You know, a, a really unbiased source, right? Decision 2022. Dozens of Trump's phony electors. There you go. 
They cannot say Trump's electors without putting in a term that declares them, you know, fake, phony, wrong. They can't. And that's part of the propaganda. Dozens of Trump's phony electors, many under investigation, still hold powerful GOP jobs in key states. So, So what does that say? Trump's not legitimate electors, but phony electors, which means they're illegitimate. They shouldn't be there. Oh, look, they're under investigation. Well, they must have done something wrong. So first they're characterized as phony, which means they did something wrong. Now they're under investigation, which means people think they did something wrong. And then worse of worse, they still hold powerful GOP jobs. Oh, no. So being convicted, without being incarcerated, without being fined heavily, without anything, because they're still under investigation, right? They're wor- they say they're phony. Well, how do you say they're phony if they're still under investigation? And what does it matter that they still hold not just jobs, but powerful jobs, powerful jobs in the key states? Then it says in some cases, Trump's, oh, here's the word, fake. I should take all the words that uh, are derogatory and untrue. And let me read it without the, 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 the bias. Dozens of Trump's electors, many under investigation, still hold GOP jobs in key states. Hmm, that'd be, that'd be a, an impartial headline. Here's another one. In some cases, Trump's electors could influence elections in midterm swing states while others are running for office themselves. What did I leave out? I left out the word fake. So if you leave out the word fake, instead of saying in some cases Trump's fake electors could influence elections, well, that's a different story because they're fake, right? But they're not. So if you leave out the word fake, it's an entirely different sentence. In some cases, Trump's electors could influence elections. Well, of course they influence elections. That's what electors do. Electors decide elections. They don't just influence them. They decide them. Fascinating. While others are running for offices themselves. Oh, they only voted for Trump because they're in it for themselves. Then it says, when's this article written? September 21st, 1st, 2022. So this is, this is a year into the propaganda. <laughs> yeah. It says they're a part of an effort across battleground states to upend the 2020 presidential election results. Results. This is fascinating to me. Okay? It's fascinating to me that they talk so much about the results and not the election itself. They don't care about the election because they know the election was a fraud. They don't focus on that. They focus on the results. This is, they were part of, uh, this is by Natasha Korecki, K-O-R-E-C-K-I, Korecki, and Caitlin Francis. They're part of an effort across battleground states to upend the 20, oh, uh, yeah, they were, upend, oh, please. What they're really trying to do is get the right results. <laughs> you know, let me read it properly. They're a part of an effort across battleground states to get the correct presidential results from 2020. This is signing documents asserting they were the state's rightful electors and Donald Trump, not Joe Biden, was the victor. Well, it's true. Today, the U.S. Justice Department is circling these, quote, fake electors. <gasps> the U.S. Justice Department, which basically works for Joe Biden. All right. So in other words, you have a coup. You have a Praetorian guard. You have a fake uh, Department of Prosecutors that their sole job is to prosecute Donald Trump and anybody who supports him, making voting for Donald Trump illegal. That's my contention. And the whole point here is to make Donald, voting for Donald Trump so heinous, so, so fearful that uh, the feds might go after you. Oh, Marco's back. I know, Marco, you're picking up this conversation midway through. You really have to go back and listen because I've been on kind of a roll for, for most of this hour here. But this is fascinating to me. Says the, now, here it goes. This is, this is NBC News. Says the, the, from September of 2022, says the U.S. Justice Department is circling these fake electors, except they're not fake. The FBI has visited many of their homes during grand jury subpoenas. Well, why would the FBI visit the homes of people during grand jury subpoenas? Obviously, if they're subpoenaed by the grand jury, they appear, they appear before the grand jury. What's the FBI doing? Well, they're intimidating them. In other words, they're, they're telling them how to testify so they don't get arrested. 
Okay? That's coercion. That's extortion. That's racketeering by the FBI to make sure that nobody does anything positive for Donald Trump. All their asses ought to be thrown in jail for that. Can you believe this? The FBI has visited. You wouldn't call it visiting if if the Trump uh, FBI visited, you know, know, had a conversation. They'd say something like, uh, Trump's FBI threatened and terrified many in their homes before a, a grand jury subpoena to influence the results of the grand jury proceeding. That's how they characterize it. It was Trump, right? This says grand jury subpoenas, and in at least one case, seizing a cell phone. So let me read it again so you get, you get the context. Today, the U.S. Justice Department is circling these, quote, fake electors, which aren't my words. The FBI has visited, that should be in quotation marks, right, many of their homes delivering grand jury subpoenas. Why is the FBI delivering grand jury subpoenas? The FBI has nothing to do with grand jury subpoenas. Separate proceeding, right? And, this is, and in at least, I could be wrong on that. We'll ask Jonathan. This is in at least one case, seizing a cell phone. A source familiar with the investigation confirmed to NBC News. And the January 6th Select Committee, in other words, all Democrats, and a couple of Republicans who are, in fact, Democrats, has compelled many of them to testify. Compelled. Arguing they were part of an integral, integral part of a broader scheme cooked up by some of Trump's closest confidants to overturn the election. Let me put that in English. Let me put that in proper. The January 6th Select Committee of Democrats who are trying to desperately maintain the coup through a series of lies and Hollywood productions, has illegally compelled electors who have duly voted their conscience and certified Donald Trump. And the committee has argued that they were a part of, uh, of, of stealing the election, which, of course, they did, the Democrats did. And this is cooked out by some of Trump's closest confidants. In other words, what it really... Let me see if I can rephrase this properly. I testify arguing that they were an integral part of a legal procedure to properly certify Trump electors when the deep state, the government, the FBI, and the DOJ had sought to suppress the vote of legitimate Trump electors. How's that? Sound pretty good? I think so. Huh. Then it says law enforcement activity has not pushed these, quote, there it is again, false electors instead of electors from their political purchase. I mean, I got article after article, this is the same thing. There's an article on Arizona, same thing, right? The Arizona Central. Uh, I'll just quickly go through these because Jonathan's going to talk, and I'm going to sit back and listen, <laughs> if I can. Uh, what do we got here now? Uh, doo, 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 doo. Fake electors. There it is. They can't, see, they can't say electors. They have, to, they have to characterize them as fake, false, you know, whatever. Fake electors tried to deliver Arizona's 11 votes. What do you mean try to deliver? They did. What they should say is electors, Trump electors were voted by duly, uh, you know, by you know, just it should say electors delivered Arizona's 11 votes for Trump. That's what it should say. <clears throat> this is another sign of the lingering unrest, lingering unrest. So that implies, you know, uh, pitchforks and uh, torches. <laughs> In other words, the peasants are revolting, sir. Revolting. They're disgusting. Just kidding. Anyway, and another sign of lingering unrest over President Donald Trump's election loss, except he didn't lose. He won. An Arizona group sent the National Archives in Washington Notarized documents. Notarized. Okay. Last week intended to deliver, and then it says wrongly, the state's 11 electoral votes for him. No. What this is is that the Republican state legislature duly certified Donald Trump and this, this 11 electors to the National Archives. That's the truth. Everything else here is propaganda. 
Do, 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 do. All right, what else we got here? <laughs> MSNBC has an article on Nevada. Republicans who falsely claimed to be Nevada state electors. See, these are all the battleground states. These are all places where, where Brandon um, can get it overturned. There's another one on Newsweek, right? This is from Newsweek. Full list of Trump fake electors in each state and the charges against them. They're not fake. There's nothing fake about them. So the, what's fake is the charges against them. <laughs> That's what's fake. Anyway, I've got about three or four minutes. You get the idea. I think I think I pretty much made my case that this is a fraud. And they maintain the fraud. So play a couple things. Much is about shot. And uh, we'll be back in just a little bit. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay. How about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. 
Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Okay, so I'm just going to vamp here until Jonathan joins us and uh, go over some of the, the stories that are, that are in the news that I find fascinating. Uh, the first one is that Israel is being stupid. I mean, incredibly stupid. Uh, they should never have uh, halted uh, their military operation in Gaza when, when Biden was there. They should just run right through. should not have listened to him. He doesn't support them anyway. You know, he's run by Obama and Obama hates Israel. So why would you, why would you listen to, to Brandon? I would, I would have blocked him out and said, oh, we're going in. Not a good time to come in here. Uh, Jonathan's online now. So I'll, I'll just finish this thought that, uh, and I wrote this down right before the show. I said, Israel's ceasefires are stupid. Should have gone in full force, taken over Gaza, rescued the hostages, and then talked about a ceasefire once Hamas was gone. I mean, you always deal from strength in a negotiation. You never negotiate from weakness. Anybody who's, who's been, uh, you know, part of a, a labor union strike knows that you always deal from strength. Anybody who's been in any kind of diplomatic effort, you know you deal from strength. And that's why you know the liberals always lose, because they deal from weakness. Oh, please don't hurt us. Please don't hurt us. That's why the Republicans always lose. They always deal from weakness. So Israel, was, uh, it's not just my opinion, uh, Doug McGregor and some other folks, said, look, the minute you, uh, you let them you know, go back into the machine gun nests and the, and, and the tunnels and get the missiles and stuff, then they start firing at you again. That's why Gallipoli, just to uh, you know, do a famous loss, uh, they celebrate the Anzacs, the Australian and New Zealand uh, Army Corps. Well, this is Gallipoli. There were uh, Australian and New Zealand soldiers under, uh, under British control. The British officers were usually terrible. <laughs> you know, they, the, the, those say World War II say that if you, if you could take the, the German officers, the German general staff, uh, and take the British soldiers, <laughs> you you, they could have taken over the world. But anyway, uh, the point of this is that Gallipoli, uh, the British fired uh, the naval bombardment, and then the, the bombardment ended. And then the charge to, to seize all the machine gun nests was like half an hour later. Well, of course, all the, the Turks, the Ottomans, run, ran back into their trenches, set up the machine guns, set them up. And uh, when the, the Australian and uh, New Zealand soldiers landed on the beach, they were cut to shreds. Look at the movie Gallipoli. All right? so, so stupidity is, you know, in military operations is everywhere. Uh, so I never wanted to be in the military and be under someone else's control. I wanted to have either my own jet that I could fly uh, or be in some kind of position of independence. I never want anybody to tell me to take the hill. You know, when they've already got the machine guns back pointed at you. That's just stupid. Anyway, let's get to Jonathan and see what he has to say as my voice is once again about to run out. 
What is the law? Are we under the rule of law? Does that mean those who make the laws rule us? Aren't we under the consent of we the people, where we write the laws we consent to be governed by and rule the government? Who is the law? Is it the Supreme Court, the President, the Congress, the states? Can you take the law into your own hands? Is there any time the law isn't in your own hands? In a country under a coup d'etat and a stolen government, there is no law. But there are a whole bunch of things being done in the name of law. And now, with this state of confusion and contradiction, let's try to find a way out together by using the law. Because if our government of the people, by the people, and for the people means anything, it means we the people are the law. And now to try and make some sense of all this and use the law as it was meant to be used to find our way back to freedom, it's time now for The Legal Report with Jonathan Mosley. So, Jonathan, I did way too much work this weekend. I know it's a holiday weekend, but I had uh, folks in town, and we had a bunch of projects to do, and I got completely exhausted. So I'm a wreck today. So you get to talk a lot. I'm just going to sit here and, you know, hopefully not, uh, you know, my voice in the process of what we're doing today. How you doing, sir? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, fine. I was, I was, I was banking on, on you doing all the talking. But, oh, great. Uh, no, but we'll, uh, I, uh, I, I, pretty, pretty, pretty good, pretty good Thanksgiving got to be with my, uh, I moved, you know, where I moved to be near my relatives, mm-hmm. uh, a word of, uh, holiday cheer, I suppose, is I spent a lot of time up in Virginia wondering, and then I went to my cousin's wedding, uh, mm-hmm. about two years ago. And I realized I don't know these people. Why, why, why did I? Live so far away from family, and uh, you know, mistracted them. So I ended up moving and um, um, starting now to try to get back to meeting, you know, spending time with family, although they're scattered around, but at least they're closer. So it was a good, it was a good Thanksgiving. And um, well, that sounds good. That, yeah. So uh, <clears throat> not bad. Um, anyway, so let's see. So what's going on? You're. Uh, um, I was just, you know. I, I don't know if you're if I'm just easily distracted or if your topics are are, are that good that I keep being, getting tempted to get off uh, get distracted. <laughs> I, I like to but, think I'm that good, but I'm never really sure. But uh, what do you think? Yeah, you right, but but just just real quick, and I and I will make it relevant. Is I, I had a, co- a post college course because I was thinking of going into something else, and I believe they made us. And I never I, ne- I don't even know why they had us. They had they had some required books. I still can't tell you why we, we read these books, but one of them I believe was the the rise and fall of the British Empire, mm. um, and it was it was I guess a, a, a study of the governmental mistakes of how the British Empire was kind of a mess, mm. and so on the, on your topic, you know they said one you know of course one of the reasons why the British military leadership was so bad. It's because they were, um, you know, they were politically, well, actually worse than politically. You know, they yeah. weren't chosen for their merits. Right. They were chosen because, I mean, basically because the Normans landed in 1056, and mm-hmm. and they had to um, figure out how the royals would rule this great big 
country that they somehow managed to to um, to take. And mm-hmm. then uh, and so basically all the positions are based on family, not on not on um, abilities. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have all these all these generals whose only reason for being in charge of the military is, you know, who their great grandparents were. Not that yep. they knew the foggiest idea of how to actually run a military or do anything, which, of course, I'll bring it around, is exactly what's happening in our country today, mm-hmm. is that it's all about, um, it, you know, it's all about the political generals and the, uh, you know, politically chosen military leaders who are, you know, disasters for the average soldier and, uh, you know, dedicated uh, field officers. So um, there you go. If that if that does any good for you, we can't we we need to stop making the same mistake. Oh well, listen. I mean, I, I love military history. Uh, I find it fascinating. Uh, World War One, for example, General Pershing uh, insisted that uh, that American troops always be commanded by American officers. He didn't trust the British officers. You know, especially when they had uh, trench warfare, where both the British and the German officers thought it was a good idea to run into each other, you know, across barbed wire, no man's land, artillery shells, kill millions of people and think that, that was going to accomplish something. It's actually the definition of insanity, you know, charging, charging the, the fence, charging the, the barbed wire and expecting something different to happen. Well, what happens is everybody got right. killed and, and they did it for four years. What's that? Is that Einstein's definition of insanity that doing this or somebody like that doing the same thing over and over again and hope this time it's going to work? Yeah. Or doing um, expecting a different not. result. Yeah. Yeah. That's insanity. Which you know, if you do exactly the same thing, you're going to get exactly the same result. Well, most of the time, but yes, but but I mean, the odds are on it for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with socialism, of course. And um, <clears throat> anyway, so um, um, so yeah, uh, that that's that's that. So anyway, um, a lot going on, of course, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to make it vaguely legal. Um, or about the law. You can um, talk about whatever you want. I mean, you're not restricted to legal. Sometimes things are very much a legal issue. Like, and, and yeah. This is the beauty of being the host for me. I can talk about anything. The first time, I, I, well, let me ask you, just, just to distract you one more time. Uh, my big question in the first hour was, why are the Democrats so um, obsessed with the Trump electors? If Brandon really won the election, why would they bother worrying about the Trump electors? Why are they chasing him down? Why are they calling him fake? Why did I have you know eight news articles that all called him fake and you know all the other stuff that they were saying about them? They're being persecuted, prosecuted. I mean, if these battleground states were really won by Brandon, why are they even bothering? Well, they're first, proving, let me they're back confessing. up. First, that? let me back up. up with this, this is where we get off track and get distracted is is you know Elon Musk has sued uh, a whole bunch of people. Really? Uh, a bunch of news organizations. And um, one, of the, one of the characteristics in the, in the suit is that all these different news, news outlets said the exact same thing. Now, of course, you look, you know, when you see a news, a, a news, public, a news story and mm-hmm. it says up at the top, you know, Associated Press or Reuters or, you know, that's, that's their, their job is they subscribe to a news service which can um, – you know, provide them with news about what's going on. So you would expect that they're, they're, the stories, you know, are all going to be, this, you know, pretty much the same. But apparently that's not the case. It's just that, it's just that the news, you know, all just says the same thing. And if, and if Elon, if you're, uh, you know, Elon, call me 
Um, no, but, but if Elon Musk would do the same thing, he should add uh, things of civil conspiracy, not just defamation. But uh, apparently these news outlets all said that, and of course it's this, you know, it's the same, you know, it's the same big lie. I mean, you know, Republicans are racist and all this kind of thing. You know, they, they say that um, when Elon Musk took over Twitter, the uh, incidents of anti-Semitic and racist comments, um, you know, skyrocketed or whatever. No examples of that. And from what I could see, um, the, the comments about people claiming that there was anti-Semitism may have skyrocketed. And those are counted as, you know, tweets about anti-Semitism. But in fact, there was, you know, no, you know, there, there, it just, it just doesn't, doesn't exist on the right. But they have to keep this going. So they, they claimed that, that uh, Twitter X, I'm not going to, I mean, X is dumb. I'm sorry, Elon. It is dumb. You, it's one of the dumbest it's things. Yeah, for, for a mean, bright guy, he really screwed that one. Yeah, that was totally that was, insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess it's hope for all of us because everybody makes <laughs> mistakes. Maybe he has a lot of uh, X's. But, I don't know. You know, who knows? Oh, my God. I hope that's not it. Um, <laughs> so, so, I just anyway, thought of it. Don't mind me. My, my brain. Um, and, uh, you know. people. So, so anyway, <laughs> they, uh, they said that, that, that Twitter was displaying you know, like anti-Semitic, all, all these, these big name company ads mm-hmm. next to anti-Semitic comment, con- mm-hmm. content. Right. And then they found, found out that, that the uh, media matters who did it mm-hmm. was, um, was manipulating, you know, apparently they had, they, they manipulated the posts to create this knowingly false story. Two attorney, two state attorney generals are, are investigating media matters as, you know, for fraud. And, right. and he just sued them for like, you know, a quadrillion dollars or something. And, um, but, you know, and, and I'm not, to me, the, the one lawsuit isn't isn't so so significant as the fact that you know hell yeah people need to start fighting back mm-hmm. you know it, it's like it's like i noticed you know way back during the iran contra affair and ali Noor, they used these independent councils which is stronger than today's special councils you know right. to go after republicans then the republicans used it against the clintons and suddenly the, the democrats didn't like it so much <laughs> you know, so so the the only the only way to get rid of a bad law is to use it against leftists, you know, or Democrats. So when you when you start doing so, so you know, and and of course the the, the geldings that you talk about, the republic, you know, the um, the mm-hmm. uh, weakling Republicans, they, you know, like oh we wouldn't want to sink to their level. Oh hell yeah we would. You know, yes, you stop me. I want to you. prosecute them. I want to make them look stupid. I want to. I want to totally crush them and demolish them. I want them to be yeah, eliminated but... as a politically viable force. I want them so far removed. You look at any problem in this country that's been caused by the Democrats. Any major problem, inflation. You know, Republicans certainly helped. Uh, and they, well, they were okay, negligent. Yes, but you look at you look at the education system. You look at uh, you know foreign policy. You look at uh, the military. You look at the economy. You look at anything you you can look at. The Democrats have screwed it up. Well, so why do we have Democrats? Why, why do we why do we allow a Democrat party? They just keep but screwing the things up. Republicans are the enablers. If my if well, I if true. I had a son, 
who is, you know, who is a drug addict. Mm -hmm. And I keep like giving him money anytime he asks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, yes, he's an addict and he needs to get, but, you know, I need to stop, stop enabling him too. And I mean, see, this is one of the problems in our thinking is that, is the idea that something happened and there were 10 people in the room and conservatives want to figure, I mean, liberals want to say that society is to blame and conservatives want to find the one and only person who's to blame, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. usually not the case. It's like, I mean, it's really true that, I mean, society is not the, the cause, but everybody there probably in their own individual way did something to contribute mm-hmm. or it was diffused. Well, collective uh, negligence. So, let's, let's make up a new term here, collective negligence. People acting well, there together. Is, there is, but, but the difference I say is, is that when, if you have 10 people in the room and, you know, a fight broke out or something you know, happened or whatever, it isn't that all 10 people did exactly the same thing. Right. And they're all, you know, society's to blame. It's like everybody, you know, one person could have taken the person aside and talked to them. You know, everybody's involvement may be different. Mm-hmm. But it's usually not that, like, one person is 100% guilty and everybody else is 100% innocent. That's just really not reality. But anyway, so <clears throat> whatever, we were, whatever we were talking about. But the point is, is that the best way, the best way to stop um, – you know, stop bad things by by, by leftists is to is to start using their tactics against us. Absolutely, and, and we're enablers. Be better. We're Republicans are enablers because we say, oh, we wouldn't want to sink to their methods. And it's like, why not? I mean, I mean, how can you? You know, it's like you see, you, you know, someone sees a woman being raped in the park, and like, well, I wouldn't want to be violent. I wouldn't want to sink to his level. Oh, hell yeah, you better damn well. It. Yeah. Um, but you know what? They're actually it, lower than the Democrats level because the Democrats are doing what the, the, the party wants. You know, they're actually advocating their position. As disgusting as those positions are, they're actually doing their job. See, the Republicans, by saying we don't want to sink to their level, you're already below their level, way below, because they refuse to do anything. Right. You know, and I, I, I had a whole plan. Yeah, I had a plan. On this one. It's in an article I wrote why I'm leaving the Republican Party. Uh, I'm going to keep my, my Republican registration until the primary, and then I'm going to dump it. Because after that, there's no reason to vote for to ever be in a member of the Republican Party. But I want to vote for Trump in the primary, and after that, you know, I don't care. Um, but there's certain things that the Republicans could have done they didn't. <clears throat> the first thing was to basically shut down the budget and boycott Congress and say, "Look, we're not going to be here as long as Brandon is in the White House. He he is not the president. We're leaving. We're not. We're just going to stop business cold and just leave." They could have done that. They could have held their own January 6, you know, correction committee or the election correction committee. Right. Well, any, just anyway, so- but they didn't do that either. I mean, there's just so many things that we thought of that they, they could have done, and they didn't do any of them. Right, but they, they somehow think that if they're, you know, if we're calm and restrained and dignified and, you know, we wear a, a tuxedo top coat and, you know, wear one of those, uh, those hats from the Monopoly game, you know, the, 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 the people will say, oh, they're such nice people. Well, you know, we'll... Uh, Jonathan... You know, I, I just I want to I want to look at this a little more carefully because I think there's more to it. It's it's not that they're they're I don't know they're trying to be as you say they, they don't want to stoop to their level they don't want, they're almost like battered wives. Yeah, that's yes. women. You know, but they're 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 well, they're so beaten down they're so cowardly they you know even when it's in their interest to strike back they won't because they're so terrified of the reprisal. You know, it's like oh don't hurt me and don't don't rape me again. You know, I mean what what's what wrong with these people? 
No, I think that's exactly right. And it started out with under FDR, um, you know, the Democrats had a, had a super majority. And there was, remember, there was only a few newspapers. And if, you know, if the Washington Post, I think it was the Washington Star back then or whatever. And, you know, if, if, if a few papers said mean things about you, that was a devastating real consequences. But um, they, they, they can't get over the fact that nobody gives a hoot what the Washington Post says these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the Washington Post says something bad about you. Who cares? Yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. I'm sorry. It used to be a kiss of death is what I'm going to say. But anyway. Oh, okay. Trump proved that retaliation works. This is Trump, you know, breaks the mold. Trump does all the things. It's really funny. I think I mentioned this before. I didn't realize it until uh, Trump had been running to almost the nomination because I thought to myself, you know, what you really need for someone to be president is someone that's rich enough to not be able to be bribed, that's independent enough. They don't care about the party that uh, does what they want and actually fixes things. And what I had done unknowingly, you know, 20 years previously was describe Donald Trump. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't recognize him when he came along because his debating style was so bad. I was more of a Ted Cruz supporter initially because I thought Ted Cruz at least knew the Constitution. And that, that to me is a, is a prerequisite for anybody um, being in the presidency, which eliminates all the Democrats automatically. Well, <clears throat> they either know it and abuse it or don't know it. Either way, they can't serve. Same thing with liberals on the Supreme Court. They can't serve either for the same reason. But at least Donald Trump, you know, uh, once, once I realized that uh, his debating style really does suck, but he's going to do really good things, I got, you know, I said, you know what? He's exactly who I've been looking for all this time. Totally independent. Can't be bribed. Doesn't care. Got a better job if he wants it. Doesn't have to do this. Not obsessed with, with being liked. He just literally just wants to do the right thing. And they can't stand it. Right, well, I don't know if it's this, really this fascinating. Goes, I mean, the thing is, what you're saying is, is and I, I, I do think you can't understand the Republican Party without starting with FDR, you know, the FDR supermajority. And, um, but <clears throat> the, oh shoot, what was this, this going to say? The, um, the battered wife syndrome. It'd be like having a community, you know, a small community where there are uh, 12 battered wives. Mm-hmm. And one of them says, heck, I'm not going to take this anymore. Mm-hmm. And all the other 11 battered wives say, oh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, don't do that. You know, you, you can't you can't fight you can't speak up for yourself. You can't fight back. And, beat us and, again. and you know, they, beat us worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're getting more they're getting more uh, opposition from the other battered wives than they are from the battering husband. Mm-hmm. And that's the Republican Party. Interesting. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Anyway, so back to that. So Elon Musk is suing all these people, and the thing I was saying is that what what interesting most about that is that somebody is just starting to say hell no i'm not going to take this anymore i'm mad as hell and i'm not going to take this anymore and, and somebody else sued too oh i oh true social sued because everybody and again the exact same story over and over and over again that they lost 73 million dollars as reported in their recent SEC filings sec right. filing uh securities and exchange commission so you go and you look at the filings. There's no such thing there. It's just made up. And and this so happens all the time. Sued, it's like uh, sexual assault statistics during the Super Bowl. That was all made up because they have an agenda. Yeah. Same thing. Well, it it was a study. So Greg, I, I want I, I I posted on 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 Facebook. We we need to do a study that proves what we believe is is true. 
you know, we just need to design the study to come out with the the, the answers we're looking for. And uh, and then we can bludgeon people with the study oh, saying that. I could right. I could develop a poll. In fact, we might do that. This is why I'm really curious about uh, Rumble because I can start to do graphics, and I'll have uh, a question. You know, do you want America to suck under the Democrats for four more years? That'd be a great poll question. Do you want our military to be full of metrosexuals? I mean, let's, let's have fun with this. Well, again, <laughs> you know, this, this, goes back to my, this goes back to my observation from Ali North that when you start doing that, mm-hmm. you expose that the left has been doing that all along. Yeah. You know, so when you start when you start using really biased questions, it's like, well, you can't do that. Well, the left does it, so why can't I do it? Um, and why can't I anyway, do it better? So, I would even go further, you know, it's like treble damages. We're going to do it three times worse than they do it. Well, something happened over the weekend that was fascinating. I was listening to, uh, as I'm driving around in my, my Sunday gig, listening to uh, Shannon Bream, Fox News. And they had some Republican oh idiot on. And it was, I, do, I do it for the comic value. And this Republican idiot said that Ronald Reagan had a far better foreign policy because when uh, Jimmy Carter had a hostage crisis, because they're talking about the lack of special forces going in to get our, our people back, which they should have done day one. They should have done October 8th. Special forces should have been in there rescuing Americans immediately. But they didn't because they're geldings. Anyway, um, so, so he said that uh, the Ram was so afraid of Ronald Reagan that uh, they released the hostages in, you know, on his inauguration day. Well, wait a minute. Do you guys forget Iran-Contra? <laughs> Do you forget that Ronald Reagan paid for those hostages to come out? They, I guess they sold them weapons and they took the extra money and gave it to the Contras? Anybody, speaking of Ollie North, I mean, wait a minute. A little revisionist history here. Ronald Reagan was not that brave. He basically did what Biden did, just didn't pay as much money as Biden did or Obama did. But he did the same thing. He paid for hostages. Why do you think they came out on Inauguration Day? You think Iran's going to do us a favor? They don't care. They weren't afraid of him. But they took the money. Well, they should have been afraid of him. But, <clears throat> but, but Why? you know, they, that's like the thing, you know, with, with Ukraine, Ukraine or whatever. They say, well, you know, Reagan would have... You know, Reagan would have, you know, just hated Russians. And, and but, but of course, peace through strength meant that he kept us out of wars. Um, uh, I mean, the first word is peace, not like let's right. just go invade every country we can find. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so. Oh, darn, I was just going to say something. So anyway, that, that, that's sort of the. Uh, oh, oh, yes. OK, so this is somewhat legal, somewhat insurance my brother's <clears throat> a high level business um mm. insurance expert through his through his various um various accidental um career moves um but uh <laughs> he, he you know i know I, i'm not talking about like home insurance or things like that but 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 like for example um the yemeni the yemenis uh in um uh, I mean the Hutus in in Yemen, which mm-hmm. if you look on a map, uh, I had to, it w- it's down in the peninsula, on the opposite mm-hmm. end of Saudi Arabia from, um, from from Israel. Mm-hmm. So you you re- hear that the the Hutus are firing rockets at Israel. That's like a thousand miles away. Mm-hmm. I mean, roughly speaking, I, I didn't didn't measure it out, but it's like well, I'll get my globe out here. We can. Uh... We can talk about this. They're, they're oh firing rockets. Yeah. Uh-huh. What? Well, the two countries in the bottom of Saudi Arabia are, are Yemen and Oman, and they're nowhere near Israel. Right. They're, they're, the Gulf of, you know. of Aden. So, 
they, they're firing missiles over the entire north-south link of Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. supposedly our frenemy, um, mm-hmm. and um, somewhat ally. And you know, if, you can, if you can fire an intermediate ballistic missile across Saudi Arabia, you can, you can hit any place in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and the and the and the the, 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 the Hutus, which are apparently, the, I mean, they have to be really wild, you know, they're wild men, jihadis, because what the hell do they have to do with it? They're they're like at the other end. I th- I didn't realize they're so far away. Like, why are you even? You know, what do you care? <laughs> you know, what are you doing here? You know, like you know, so that so that Israel and and Hamas are fighting up at the other end of Saudi Arabia. You know, this like. You know, go take, you know, go take a nap. I mean, get, forget, what are you doing? What do you, why are you involved? So these people are really nuts. So you have, you have really, you know, crazy jihadis who, who could basically drop a missile anywhere in Saudi Arabia they want. And they mm-hmm. have been at war. Why are we allowing this? Like you talk why about Saudi Arabia allowing the, it. Why, why Saudi Arabia allowing it for that matter? Well, they were at war with them. And, and. Oh. I probably our State Department tried to say they're there now. You don't want to, you don't want to sink to their level, do you? Um, you know, so I, I don't know exactly why Saudi Arabia stopped fighting them, but apparently they weren't, you know, they weren't really winning too well, and well, the, and, and everybody else was trying to get remember, them to stop fighting. Do you remember during the Clinton administration, the Hutus and the Tutsis? There were massacres. They were they were macheting thousands of people a day. Oh, oh, I mean, that's it was, right. It was horrible. Yeah. You know, that's during, the, during the, the Clinton administration, which actually was a real administration. He actually won the election. Well, let's see, believe, this but... is my biggest thing. This is my, my biggest concern about, like, the Ukraine war, is uh-huh. all those wars, nobody ever cared, nobody ever heard about it, you know, and, and, and you know, they're, you know, but, but then a white country gets invaded, and, mm. like, you know, we all have to stop. But all, all of the African mm. nations, like, nobody cares. Um, so, um, I mean, I care. I cared the whole time, but nobody else was, uh, you know, was uh, trying to do anything well, to stop them. If, if you were an imperialist well, American, if you were like a weapons contractor, or if you were a General Milley, or if you were a, a, a war hawk like Lindsey Graham, what, what would be your criteria uh, for, uh, for a war that the United States should get into? Um, well, I mean, I, I suspect that we did sell a lot of, a lot of weapons on, in those in those wars, mm-hmm. but we just didn't make political. Okay. You know, so selling weapons. Out. So selling weapons is, is one criteria. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you think of another and, one? And they assume, I have, they, I have, they, I have they, them in my head. Go ahead. They assume that conservatives are stupid. I mean, any, any, any topic on any issue on any side is like the main thing is to just assume they assume that conservatives or the American voters are stupid. That's just automatic. Mm-hmm. And right. um, they think that we don't know the difference between Russia and the Soviet Union. <laughs> now, for, for for 50 years, you know, and, and I don't know where this started or how it got, you know, everybody talked about Russia, so the Soviet Union as being Russian, even Hunt for Red October. I mean, shame on you, Tom Clancy. He's, you know, may he, well, may he rest in peace, but get a lecture by God, um, you know, because he, he talked all about the Ruskies. It's like, no, they're not Ruskies. I mean, it's funny, the, the Hunt for Red October drives me crazy because Captain Ramius, who, um, arranges to be in charge of the, the new submarine 
Hunt for Red October. Um, what's it? What's the guy's? Jack Ryan. He figures out what's going oh, on. Because, right. Right. Because because he realizes that Captain Ramius is Lithuanian. He says right. in, the, in the U.S. top meetings is he's not Russian. He's Lithuanian. But then damn Tom Clancy spends the entire movie calling all Soviets Ruskies. They're not Ruskies. <laughs> they're from all over the. You know, they're, yeah. so, so we, so they think that conservatives hate Russians. No, mm-hmm. we hate communism, meaning we hate you. You know, we, <laughs> we hate, you know, we hate the Democratic Party because we hate communism. We don't hate any ethnic group. We don't hate Russians, but they assume that if they, you know, if, if they're going to have some grand fight with Russians, um, that we'll just automatically say, yeah, we hate Ruskies. Um, so, Anyway, well, so, that's, I mean, that's the criteria for. Uh, let's put that down as a criteria for war. You have to uh, you have to generate hate. That's Orwell. You have to hate somebody. Oceania yeah. has to hate, you know, whatever. So so hate. So my criteria is that you have to have uh, a ton of military spending. Um, you have to have hate. So you have a ton of propaganda. They have to do something that inspires it. Like remember the incubators that that uh, that woman that was uh, went before Congress yeah. during uh, the Iraq War. So they're, they're yanking babies out of incubators and dropping them on the floor. So it's a really good story. It wasn't true. But so that's pretty impressive. Who thought of that one? You know, well, and um, people are, you know, people are worried about that with with Gaza and things that people are. Oh, hospitals. Can't go that. So, so the the other criteria. So it's money, weapons. The other criteria is it has to be uh, at a nation that cannot attack us or hurt us, right? Vietnam, Korea, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, that's so we wow. have to, and, and yeah. that's a criteria. They can't they can't hurt us, right? They can't be they can't be a real war like World War Two. So they can't be a real enemy. Uh, and the other criteria is it has to go on for at least 20 years to make it worth our investment. So those are my criteria. Yeah. This, is what the, this is what the Warhawks look for. Long term, tons of spending, can't really affect us badly, um, hatred and propaganda, um, and so you got to do some involvement in anything else like that. But the biggest one is spending. you got to spend money, and you got to borrow money. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what makes them – you look at uh, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Ukraine. They all fall into that criteria. Long term, Korea is still going on, even though uh, ceasefire was started, war is still going on, right? <clears throat> but that's the criteria. Make sense? Yeah, it does make you wonder why we are still, you know, why we still have bases in Japan, why we are still, yeah. you know, propping up all these countries unless somebody is making money off of it. Making money. It's all about money. Why do we have so, so many bases in, in particular congressional districts? Because they're powerful people and they keep the money there. That's why. Anyway, so so the my, 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 the point I wanted to to, to get to uh, that's quasi quasi legal in insurance is that so the uh, the Houthi uh, I, I think I'm saying it wrong the Houthi no Houthis uh, and the Tutsis yeah. no the the, the no Houthis and Tutsis Houthis and Tutsis or the, the 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 Yemeni jihadi right. um, just yeah. captured the third cargo ship oh. and when I say cargo ship I mean gigantic. Who's? And they, 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 they thought the first one was linked to is, you know, Israel, and the owners mm-hmm. everybody says, no, we can have nothing to do with Israel. And that then, they, then they, they seized two more, one of which um, apparently is, you know, it's like, it's, like, it's like developers where they create a, they create a company for every, every project so they can't, <laughs> you know, they can't lose their money in the other you know, so so who knows who owns And they're not liable. Like, they're not liable for the other projects. That's funny. Right. It can't, but, it, but one mistake can't sink the whole network. 
mm-hmm. but you know, so who knows who actually owns a ship with all these layers of layers of, you know, things. But 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 apparently the last one they're saying like, yeah, the, well, the ultimate owner is is some Israeli billionaire. But yeah. but what I un- understand from my brother and, and and legally, you know, my brother's gone to Lloyd's of London, which is a mark. It's not an insurance company. It's a marketplace of insurance brokers. And uh, there are people who know him there. They, uh, so he's done a lot of a lot of stuff like that. And and the thing is, is that you can't operate a ship like that without insurance. I mean, you, no one in their right mind, you know, would throw off the ropes from the dock if they mm-hmm. if they weren't insured for the journey. And so you got three. So you got the Yemenis um, seizing three ships. And again, we're not talking about little ships. We're talking about gigantic things uh and um those are going to those are going to result in insurance claims i mean even if everybody comes back safely there's going to be you know there's going to be all kinds of consequences yeah yeah yes and if and even if the crew is not harmed they're like been terrorized for probably weeks and and of course Typically, you know, international things like cruise ships, you see people from countries all over the world for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not, you know, they're really, you know, I don't know why, but it's just, they're not, <clears throat> anyway, it doesn't matter. But so the thing is that all ships are going to be shut down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know why Lloyd's of London hasn't said, hasn't called a halt right now. I mean, it's five Lloyd hours. Navy. Don't we have two carriers yes. there? What are they doing? Where, yes, where are the navies? Where's, yeah. where's the special forces, which you, yeah. you brought up, which made me think of this? Well, they should have been in. I mean, uh, they should have been in that day. I mean, later that day. You know, I mean, you want to the yeah. hostages. The longer they're hostages, the more they become embedded and hidden. No, they should have had special forces in immediately. You know, America. I mean, they should have flown them over right then and there. So as soon as that attack began, as soon as it was learned that Americans had hostages, they should have been sending special teams to Israel to work directly with Israeli commandos and get them out. That's what I would have done. That's what Trump would have done. It's bad for them, but the Arab world down there depends upon shipping to sell its oil. Mm -hmm. So you're suddenly going to have, I mean, I I imagine that Yemeni uh, terrorists are not, you know, they don't have a lot of uh, economics, PhD. Are they pirates or terrorists? Remember the Somali pirates? Remember that Tom Hanks movie? So Uh these are, now Somalia is right across from Yemen. Mm, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, pretty close. You're looking well, at the map, Gulf, right? So Gulf of Aden. So you got this. So if you've got uh, the Suez Canal goes from the Mediterranean to the Red Sea. Very narrow stretch of water between Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Sudan, and Ethiopia. You've got a narrow stretch there, which is too small. I can't read it. But then you've got the Gulf of Aden, which goes out into the Indian Ocean. That's on one side. On the other side, Iran has the Persian Gulf, which has the Strait of Hormuz. So you've got two choke points. You've got the Strait of Hormuz, and you've got that one between Yemen and Djibouti, which is even smaller than the Strait of Hormuz. So you've got these two narrow choke points. It's easy for pirates. That's probably only half a mile across. Right. Well, but the thing, like I'm saying, is that, you know, the, the, the insurance brokers are not going to say, we want, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to insure Jewish ships. They're going to say, we're not going to insure, you know, we're not going to insure, insure any ships. Oh, you know, we, we don't care if it's owned by the king of Saudi, Saudi or the chief king of Saudi Arabia. You know, yeah. we're, we're, we're taking our money off the table. 
Right. You guys want to start, you guys want to start, I mean, what are they going to do next? Start sinking them? I mean, I mean, if you're... Uh, it's possible. Uh, sink a ship in the Suez Canal, that thing closes down, right? Have you seen how narrow the Suez oh Canal is? Oh, my God, that was, that was horrible, yes. But um, easy to do. The, um, with her, so, just, just have a missile under the locks. In fact, there was well, a report that is, uh, Iran wants to blow up the Panama Canal. That they want right, to have cruise missiles, you know, go ahead. These terrorists are probably not economic, you know, economically trained geniuses. So they no. don't understand that, you know, they think they're going to hurt Israeli ships, but they're just going to shut down everything. Because, because if you're, I mean, and sure, my brother was, I was trying to get him to testify in the, or, or in the Trump case about mm-hmm. insurance of things. And he was talking a lot about, you know, the slim margins and, and the, margins on volume and, and how, how these things really work. And, um, you know, so, you know, it, it's all about premiums paid as opposed to, to outpay. You know, it, it doesn't take very much, you know, for, for all the, for all the ship insurance to say, Hey, I can't, I'm out of here. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, so, so, so far they haven't shut, they haven't fired on any, they haven't like attack, physically damaged any ships. But well, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, it, that could be tomorrow. I'm I'm cashing out. You know, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm I'm out of here. So anyway, so that's uh, interesting. So where are we now? Um, uh, <laughs> kind of all course, over the place. The problem with all with a lot of things happening legally. Mm-hmm. The problem is is that they're all continuing sagas, like uh, you know soap opera. The soap they're they're legal soap operas. So it's kind of hard to talk about all the things that are happening legally with our country and Trump and MAGA and everything like that without, you know, they're not they're not like totally new topics there. But the, no, but they're the, ongoing. Well, let me ask you a question on the coup then, because the coup is going into a different phase. And as I explained in the first hour, yesterday's lies um, have to be uh, verified by today's lies, which has to be verified by tomorrow's lies. So the lie continues. The coup is is still scared of losing, of losing office, of being proven that Trump actually won. And so they they, they keep they to maintain. And I'm, I'll say it in the first hour. I'm not. I, I, this is the first coup I've lived through. I'm not really well versed in how they work. But it seems to me that the, that phase one was stealing the election uh, through January sixth. Phase one, right? So they stole the election. They suppressed the results. They suppressed the Trump electors. They had uh, the Capitol Hill Invitational Walk-in to force members of Congress to vote fraudulently for Brandon. Uh, And and then they they installed Brandon in the White House. That was phase one. Phase two was the January 6th committee, an entire year of Hollywood production, lies, propaganda, uh, and only Democrats could serve on the committee, except for a couple of Republicans, one who cried, and the other who hates Republicans. So that was the January 6th committee. Now we're in phase three. Phase three, how am I doing? Yeah, no, that's right. Well, what I was going to say compared to, you know, to, to kind of like ten, or putting a putting a label on what you're saying is mm-hmm. is that you always have to keep the tap dancing going, yes. you know, before people notice the, that people like see through the last tap dancing. Yep. And so if they don't persecute the Trump, and I'm not saying prosecute, persecute, if they don't go out, what, the conclusion I came to in the first hour is they've made voting for Donald Trump illegal. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to intimidate. They're trying to all those Trump electors that they are. They always say fake. And I've got 10 stories. They always say the same thing. Fake. 
you know, uh, and they said that Trump challenged the results of the election, not the election itself, but the results, right? That they focus on that too. But this is phase three. So phase three is to remove the Trump electors from, you know, just take them out, put them in jail, shut them up, you know, silence them, intimidate them, take their phones. You know, there were death threats against uh, Trump electors. The electors are the ones that can, uh, that can correct this election. This is the last place where it can be corrected. So they have to keep suppressing. They have to keep going after the Trump electors and all these, these bogus court cases. They're always in the battleground states. Georgia, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. Those are the <clears> battleground <throat> states. That's where the election was stolen. They don't have to go against, against, you know, California or Florida or Texas or any state where North Dakota or any state where it's clearly either a Brandon state or a Trump state. They're only going after the battleground states because there were two slates of electors in seven states, and they have to make sure that those those Trump electors never see the light of day, that they never come out, that they are always suppressed, that they're always discredited, they're always called fake, and they're perfectly viable because they were voted for right, by the state legislatures. So then, so, but that's, that's the, that's the, uh, what are they called? The loose end. If you, if you murder somebody, right. And, and, and a person sees you yep. do it, you got to kill them too. Right. This is, this is okay. figuratively, and I will say figuratively, this is exactly what this is. The Trump electors are the loose end. It's the one thing that can bring this whole house of cards down. And that's why, they, that's why they have to go after Trump and all the electors. Make sense. All right. So, so let me, let me give a legal tip for the audience is, if someone wants you to engage in some criminal conspiracy, you know, they're going to shoot you first. You know, watch the movie. Can you explain that? Watch the movie Shooter. Huh? Can you explain that? Watch the movie Shooter. The new Fargo TV series is all about that. You know, the body count keeps piling up because there's always a loose end. They've got to take care of. You're absolutely right. So don't, you know, I mean, it, 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 the, the, the people on the front line of a conspiracy are like, you know, job number two is to shoot them. So, yeah. So let's talk about that because this, this brings up a whole interesting topic. So first of all, let's go over the scene from Shooter so that uh, Marco in the Netherlands is listening and knows exactly what we're talking about, although we've done it before. Do you want to do it or shall I? Because it's fascinating. The scene? Well, I don't know if it's a scene. um Oh, okay. Well, at the end, because they hire this specialist, supposedly to help them find the assassin. You got quiet on this here, Jonathan. Check your phone. It just got quiet real quick. I want to make sure we get the story. All the locations where the assassin would be to plan the assassination. And that's just all planting evidence. So then then he's... uh, on a different floor, and someone shoots the, uh, I forget who they shot. It was, it was a surprise, whatever. President, vice president, whatever. Um, they, um, and then they're immediately trying to kill uh, uh, Wallenberg. What's his name? The, um, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so the, I mean, the, the, bullet, the bullet sounds aren't, you know, are still echoing when they're getting ready to, to kill the, the patient who's supposed to be helping them prevent the, the assassination. Right. But then, you know, he figures it out, and he's, he's wise to them. So, um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I, I forget what they say, but that's what they say. The well, there's another scene that's fabulous where Mark Wahlberg, the old, the, the young FBI guy, uh, who, is, who is the appropriate minority, uh, and this old white guy, this old Tennessee guy with like Coke bottle glasses can't see a thing. 
and he's he's, he's old school. I mean, really, he's like ninety, right? And he says, uh, when the, when the guy asked him, I said, well, well, how does this work? How do these you know conspiracies work? You know, it says the person that shot the people that shot Kennedy. What happened to them? So they were shot three hours later, and then they were buried in the desert. And the FBI guy says, well, how do you know? He says, I've still got the shovel. <laughs> It's a classic. So funny. I mean, it's, it's sick, but it's funny. No, it's funny. It's um, hysterical. But that's exactly how yeah. that would work. And there he is, but, I mean, happily living dark. out his life. Yeah. I, I just want to say for the record on the radio, it's dark humor, but it is funny. <laughs> it's really dark humor. We, we engage in that quite frequently here. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to apologize to our audience for being controversial. It's kind of like a prerequisite. <laughs> but that's very true. It, it's cynical, but it, it, it really is a metaphor. For how this works. Now let's 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 put this through to uh, um, metaphorically the Trump electors. They're not shooting them and, and assassinating them yet. Um, I mean, it may come to that. I don't know what the Democrats are capable of. But at this point, they want to discredit, arrest, and get rid of them so that they never, ever, ever think of coming forward and say, "Look, you know, we voted for Trump because he won the election." They can't have that. They're still fighting the 2020 election, and they're going to keep fighting it forever because they have to because they stole it, and this is proof that they stole it. The proof that the, the fact that they're going after these electors from 2020 still and Trump and all these and John Eastman and all these different people, the fact that they're still going after them proves that the election was stolen. Because if the election wasn't stolen, they wouldn't be bothering with them. There'd be no reason to. It's like a confession. Is there, is there a legal term for that where your actions give yourself away, where you wouldn't do that if you were yeah, innocent? It, it, What's it, that called? It's not, a, it's not a single word, but they, they – uh, <clears throat> There's, there's a whole discussion of how a pretext can be used as, as proof, you know, proof in the first instance of, okay. um, of, of a wrong or a crime. Is that, is it a, like a, in a discrimination case, if they, if they are using a pretext that is obviously not true, it indicates a knowledge, an awareness of guilt, um, you know, a consciousness of guilt. You know, it's like, it's like somebody who the police show up and a person starts running away. Now, that as a civil libertarian, that bothers me a little bit. But the law says that, you know, if someone if someone just starts spontaneously running away from the police, the police mm-hmm. can take that as, you know, at least inquiry notice that there could be something wrong here. And well, uh, it's suspicious, so they but it's not, it may not be grounds for arrest on its, on its face because not enough evidence has been gathered. There's not a probable cause. I, of the I would agree. You're just running away, I, right? I would agree with that, but the courts look at it differently sometimes. So, so anyway, um, so yeah, so anyway, that, that's where we have it. Now, the thing is, is that talking about, you, you want to talk about the fake electors. Of course, just, I, the fake, they're the not so-called fake. fake electors. They're not fake. Yeah, you fall into well, the know, but, but they're not fake. That's the whole point. What they're, lear- what, they're, what they're learning about as fake electors, you know, what they're talking about, excuse me, is um, they actually played no role in anything. Yeah. You know, these, they, they, they're, so, they're so apoplectic. Now, remember that in 2016, they tried to get, they tried to get um, electors to vote against who were pledged to Trump to vote against him. Yeah, death threats and everything. Remember? Yeah, I remember very well. You know, so, so and, and, and it's, hap- it's happened a lot. And like I said, we've talked before, if anyone, you know, ha- if they missed a show, I hope they have a parental uh, slip for uh, missing the show. But we talked, yeah. I think, probably several months ago about how 
um, Hawaii sent two slate of electors right. um, to Congress. And the commentary, when, it, when, when the, I mean, the courts were, were operating in parallel. They stepped in and they said that it's, you know, they, on my wording, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's a good thing you sent in both sets of electors because then we could decide this dispute. And, oh, and the, uh, they said that Hawaii, uh, the electors went for Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, Hawaii then was a new state. The same, you know, a lot, of, a lot of difficulties arose between him and Barack Obama, between them, because it was, you know, they were just getting their sea legs. Uh, but oh, but like they, certificate? they flipped it <laughs> and they accepted the slate of electors. I mean, right. the, you know, like I say, the, 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 the media does not decide who wins elections. But, and these scoundrels on the left, it's like, you know, but within a few days, it was apparent that uh, Donald Trump had lost the election. Media does not decide who wins an election. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not a, an authority. They don't, they don't play a role in our Constitution um, yeah. to declare. But anyway, so, so the exact same scenario showed that Richard Nixon won Hawaii and its mm-hmm. electoral votes. And then by the time it was done, it was flipped. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the delegates for John F. Kennedy ended up getting, um, getting counted. But did if they the Congress do that? Both, uh, how, did, how did those electors get yes. counted? Was it, was it, it, was, it was a January it, it, 6th. Well, thing, they, right? were, they were challenging both in Congress and in the courts at the same time. Right. Okay, that's normal. And so, that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and these people talk like, yeah, even recently, in the last few days, like MSNBC was talking about this horrible thing that could happen, that it could be that the election in 2024 could be sent to, um, to the House of Representatives. That's the Constitution, guys. This was you know, so you hate the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yes, is- we, knew you hate the, we, we knew that leftists hate the Constitution. Thank you for confirming right. it. Um, exactly. You know, because they, they think well, our constitution, our system for electing presidents is that people go vote. No, that's not no. our system. No. Nope. It, it, it's like four. And, and it's kind of a genius because like I somehow got on a interview from Russia today. Um, hmm. I, this was like after, I was interviewed with Russia. Did they speak this was uh, November 2020. Uh, late November, whatever, and they right, were asking like, "What's going on?" And I tried to explain it to them. And the last question they asked is, "Will there be a president on January 20th?" I said, "What an interesting question from from the perspective of of the rest of the world." Mm-hmm. You know, their thinking was not so much the minutia of what matters to us. It's like, "Are you going to have a president?" And I said, "Well, yes, because there's like four different ways." Mm-hmm. for uh, under the Constitution to resolve this problem. The fact that there's another way is part of the genius of our Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. That there's no way, you may not like the president, but there will be a president yeah. and sworn in. And because there's well, there'll be a person the sworn in. <laughs> it wasn't a president sworn in last time, it was a person sworn in. Well, right, but but but... You know, it's like there always has to be somebody to run down to the situation room. Well, shuffle down to the ships to the uh, uh, situation room. But yeah. what? 
Well, I just said, well, the anyway, other nations so, are, are, are concerned because, you know, the president, unfortunately, does most of the declaring of wars. It's supposed to be Congress, but everybody knows better. It really comes down to the president, unfortunately. But that's why they want to know. Right. president makes executive orders. president uh, can send troops in. This is why these other nations are concerned. But what's fascinating to me is, is what you were saying earlier, that the Democrats still feel the need to get rid of these people. And they haven't done anything. They're viable, legal electors duly voted by their state legislatures. There's nothing illegal. There's nothing you fake know. about them. And yet every single news story said the exact opposite. Completely lied. Right. Everyone. I couldn't even find one single story that talked about the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the real Trump electors as compared to the, the, the Brandon electors. Not one. That to me is fascinating. You want to talk about media suppression? That's media suppression. Right. But, you know, but the thing is, you know, regardless of who the, who the correct slate of electors are, you need both. You have to have both to, to resolve the dispute. And everybody, right. you know, everybody thinks that I go and vote and NBC News tells me who won. It's like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> no. that's not. Well, how was that resolved um, in, in Hawaii? How did Hawaii resolve it? Was the it court any decided. Oh, the court decided. The, uh, was, it was, it was pending in Congress. Right. Uh, they submitted the, the, two, the two versions of electors to Congress. Mm-hmm. But um, the court actually decided that, um, that Kennedy had won the electors. Federal court? Which is Kennedy court. Huh? Which court? No, uh, I think a Hawaii court. So, so how could um, they, but, but this is a congressional, I don't see the courts in the Constitution. I mean, I might not know, but I'm just saying, why wasn't it decided by Congress on January 6th when I, the, the elections are counted? It should have been. No, it, it should have been. But, but, okay. the, um, but again, the, 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 we have this perception that like you know the con- Congress has the power, but you know the the uh, abusive husband might beat them if they use their power. I mean, so so if the courts say who won, the the the, the, Cong- the Congress is the ultimate authority mm-hmm. to decide to you know to, to count the electoral college votes. Right. Um, like you say, the courts are not mentioned. Mm-hmm. And okay, so not um, right. But, um, but so Congress, I mean, Congress could, I mean, Congress has stepped into congressional elections and say, we're not confident who won. You know, we, we don't agree. You know, co- Congress has overturned or refused to seat, uh, mostly Republicans, obviously. Well, so how did they do that in 2018? Remember 2018 when seven Republicans suddenly had their votes uh, their elections taken away from them after the polls closed, like within a week or two, when all these Democrat right, votes kept showing up, and they let it happen. They let it happen. They lost the House when they, yeah, Republicans won the House in 2018. They could have avoided all the impeachments, all the problems. Trump could have had a great session. None of this stuff would have happened, and they actually won. So they gave away. They gave away the House to the Democrats, and then all hell broke loose. There was no reason for it because they won. That's right. insane. So. But, 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 the, but the point is, is that even if the court, even if the Supreme Court said, because, again, you don't vote for a president, you vote for the Electoral College. Right. And if, if the Supreme Court said, you know, um, I don't know, pick a name. Somebody won. You know, yeah. uh, uh, John McCain won. 
the Congress, could, the Congress could object to the votes and say, well, we don't, we think there was funny business in these states and mm-hmm. we don't accept it. The Congress could take it away from the courts. Yeah. And the should've. courts are not mentioned, but, but they're just accept that they're cowards. Because, they, because the they, still the think, yeah. they still think that people read the Washington Post and the Washington Post might say something mean about them. Yeah. So, um, but what are they going to say about us when we can rumble? Hey, John, when we get on rumble, what are they going to say about us? That's going to be fun. I, I'm going to have to go buy a, buy a tuxedo or something, right? Is that? Oh, no, you're not. you don't have to look like a lawyer. I, I'm going to be in my grubbies. What? I'm going to be in my grubbies. Okay. I'm not going to be dressing up for the show. Are you kidding? I, I'm going to make uh, Steve Bannon look good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, that's like in the movie The Russia House. They describe... Uh, Bartholomew mm-hmm. Blair is, is a big unmade bed, and that's the best description for Steve Bannon. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, which of course I think Steve Bannon would laugh at. I'm not I'm not trying to trash him. Um, <laughs> but um, the uh, anyway, so so we're out of time, I guess. But I want to. But yeah, Dorothy just showed up, I, so I'm going to uh, I'll get what? your closing okay, thoughts well, at so, this time. So real quick, and believe it or not, this all kind of adds together here from what we were saying, is that of course. The Colorado, um, the, the, the attempt to uh, kick Trump off the ballot in Colorado has been appealed to the Supreme Court on a fast track. Now, remember, the U.S. Supreme Court waited until after the electoral, after January 6th mm-hmm. to, to uh, deny the, the Texas case by 20 states um, which for, they for Trump. Do, which they could not do constitutionally. Article 3 mandates they took that case. That's right, problem. but the thing, but well, well, the, the, but that's what the suit was about. The, the Texas Texas state lawsuit was to demand that that all the all this add-ons passed by you know election officials and everything like that were invalid because they weren't passed by the legislature. Right. Um, and but you know they they couldn't take that, but the case to take him off the ballot is already live in the Supreme Court of Colorado. From uh, uh, you know two two weeks ago, and remember Bush v. Gore was I think it took him like six the U.S. Supreme Court six days from the time the papers were filed to to issue the, the ruling in Bush versus versus Gore, hmm. and, and of course nobody would challenge an election, you know like that doesn't happen like all these Bushies <laughs> and, and Al Gore and Democrats I mean they suddenly like Bush v. Gore what. I don't know what you're talking about. What, what Bush v. Gore? Um, so, so anyway, it's now there, and we're gonna. And like I said, they're doing. Um, the, the the judge decided that Trump should remain on the ballot for reasons that are completely flimsy and absurd. That the president is not the is not the um, an officer under the under the Constitution. What? And, but they found, but they found him. So that's going to be overturned. And the judge, based on complete nonsense, found that there was an insurrection and that um, Trump engaged in an insurrection. Now, to be perfect, to be, you know, okay. to, to, to be, uh, understand one of the things that they went through through this whole trial is that nobody knows what an insurrection is. I mean, there's so many different interpretations. Um, they yeah, spent I need to, a lot of time. 
I just need to hold you up though because I want to get to Dorothy. And what I'd like to do is oh, she is, is get those here. cases. I thought you said she wasn't there yet. No, she is here now. Uh, but I want to do is get All those right, cases in the in the legal report. If you can post them in our Action Radio legal report, so I can take a look at the cases, that'd be fabulous. All right, I, I misunderstood. I'm sorry. I, I, I guess you misunderstood. All right, John. Okay. Thank you. All right, great. We'll talk. Um, we'll talk next week. I'm sure it'll be more happening. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Talk to you later. Sex. Everybody talks about it. Some of you are even doing it. But are you really talking to the person you are doing it with? It all comes down to communication. That's where Dorothy Diana comes in. Dorothy is a sexual health nurse educator. She has studied hypnotherapy, Reiki, and many other disciplines. And what is sex without sensuality? Something has to light your afterburner. Join us now for a sometimes very frank and occasionally quite descriptive conversation of sex and sensuality with Dorothy Diana. Yes, it's amazing how Jonathan, the minute I say you're on the phone, he immediately goes into a whole new topic and just keeps going. It's like, Jonathan! <laughs> oh, I didn't hear you say that either. I don't know if he didn't hear you, but he was definitely oh, I, into I what he was well, talking about. Well, I'm a little under the weather, as they say today. I got completely exhausted Aww. over the weekend. Uh, worked really hard. Mm-hmm. No, I was doing some productive stuff with Action Radio folks. Got very little sleep, and then had to work all day Sunday. And so I'm just I'm going to take this afternoon just all day. <laughs> this is my day off. So I'm, Monday's kind of like my, my day to relax after the show. So if I sound a little scraggly mm-hmm. and greggly and, you know, just, the, the, we'll just go with it. Anyway, but that's what's, that's what's yeah. happening. So Rumble. What do you think of Rumble? We're going to be – you'll be visual next week. Oh, is that next week? Well, I moved it up. I made a command decision. I want to, do, I want to start Thursday. So CJ, my friend, yeah, who uh, knows to, Rumble. You'll have to privately message me because I'm, you know, I'm not keeping up with it. I knew we were going visual, but uh, yeah, no, I didn't know that was next week. Hmm. Well, I only, I only kind of decided the last couple of days. <laughs> you know, I'll talk to the folks Friday, and um, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Well, that way we'll do like a, a test episode Thursday. Everybody can see what they think, and uh, I'll have to work the bugs out. But I'd like to start doing it uh, Friday for real. So Thursdays, you know, are our, our, our rough draft. CJ's going to kind of walk me through it. And then Friday I'll have my regular reporters and see how that works out. And if I push all the right buttons, then I'll just keep doing it. If not, I'll go back to the drawing board and do some more blog talks. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to be okay. fabulous. It's going to be great. You've done Sounds visual. You've done, you've done videos and, and uh, video reports before. Very I'm rarely. Sure. Very mm. rarely. I oh. um, Yeah, just once or twice. I like to sit on my bed in my yoga clothes and drink my coffee. You can so. do that. You can do that. Yeah. See, I don't want people to change. You know, as I, as I just told mm. Jonathan on the way out, I said, look, I, I mean, I dress so shabbily, I'm going to make Steve Bannon look good. Well, it sounds interesting. You, you haven't it'll, seen it'll Steve Bannon's videos. Be... He's, he's like unshaven, <clears throat> unkempt. He looks like he just fell out of bed like five minutes before the show. Oh, he so. always looks like that. I know, but uh, I, I sometimes do too, although I'll, I'll, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> might, might be a little mm. too rough on the exterior. We'll see. I don't so know. I raise my children. Okay. I raise uh-huh. my children that whether it's right or it's wrong, human psychology dictates that people will judge you based on your appearance. They can make a lot of um, conclusions because that's you know you know our brain's way of creating safety and tribe. And so yep. that's how I convinced my three boys to please not wear wrinkly shirts or shorts with holes in them. Please brush their hair before they leave the house. Not because, you know, I want to emphasize it matters more what everyone thinks, but because it's a level of personal discipline, first of all, that creates a mental state 
And also, you're inviting people to be more open to you, make it easier for them to be more open to you. You don't have to fight an uphill battle, right? Yep. No, yeah. I mean, I'll definitely be presentable. Um, but uh, and first of all, I won't need the headset or the microphone, so I won't be hiding behind all this stuff because my, uh, yeah. my camera and my microphone and my computer work just fine. So I've been testing yeah. that, too. Yeah, it's going to be great. So you can yeah, sit, on your, use, you can sit with your yoga pants. I, I don't my, care. You know? I use my headset plugged into my phone, so I'll have to see if my setup works on mine because I'll need a computer, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you, no, you can still call in by phone. You can, you can, you can just, just put it on video. I'm not sure how that mm-hmm. works. And if not, well, I'll have like a graphic display. So if you wanted to call in and not be video, and we'll have, you know, the sex and sensuality report with Dorothy Diane. I'll just have like a graphic of some kind. I'll figure out how to do that. But because uh, there'll be times when people can't be at their computer or they want to, like if they're on the road, if they're calling in driving it. So, uh, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I do. I want yeah, that option too. On the road sometimes. And then mm-hmm. the, the women who have to be in the car just turn it on their, on their picture. So that works. So mm-hmm. let's talk about, I have these, um, this connected topic today. We've discussed before this book, Girls and Sex, I recommend to everyone. Um, and it's really delving into why our young female adults are so disconnected from their bodies and sexuality and what that looks like in intimate relationships. And, you know, I work with women reconnecting them to their bodies through embodied somatic movement, sensual dance. And it's a long process to get a woman from the typical what's walking in the outside world in this culture to a truly embodied, radiant, feminine woman who is living just a magical, creative, manifesting life. So that, that's a process. And, and the area I work in to get her there is to break down the old beliefs about her body and sexuality and shame and to recreate new beliefs and also get back in her body intentionally through embodied movement. So Mm -hmm. women can can come to the Mm table. Yeah. How how does that improve women's lives? You know, if a woman's in touch with her body and knows who she is and gets the mental, physical, spiritual all connected, how does that, how does that manifest? Uh, uh, Better relationships, better jobs, better families. What what goes on? She's happy and she moves towards pleasure and her okay. integrated belief systems have changed. And if you know anything about, you know, NLP, you know, what's it programming or manifestation <clears throat> that we draw the, the, the law of attraction, whatever our internal deep beliefs are is what we get more of, what we draw towards us. So when a woman has fully changed her perception and believes she has a healthy, happy, beautiful body, believes that every part of her is, is not just okay and acceptable, but beautiful and radiant, and that she gets to choose. She gets to choose pleasure. She gets to choose joy. She gets to choose excitement. She gets to choose energy. She gets to choose health. All of these messages come with what I teach and, um, and becoming em- embodied, becoming at one with your body and, and in touch with your heart and your feelings, accepting them, being able to check in with yourself. How am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? What am I afraid of? What do I need? Um, the ability to do that has been cut off from us, and that relates a lot to being embodied, that you are in touch with yourself, your true self, versus all the outside messages, the performance you've been told to do, um, the robotic behavior, the, the being valued by what you can produce and bring to the table versus who you are as a beautiful being. So a lot of this has to do with feminine energy also and how that difference 
differs from masculine energy and what our role in the world is. A lot oh, of I'll get to the guys people. later. I'm, I'm curious about a guy's body image too. But to women... But what I wanted uh, to, what I'm talking about today is um, right. these layers, layers of sexual realization. So there's five layers, mm. and okay. I'm going to focus on the one that's called performative, what kind of relationships that leads to, and, and why. And then we touched on the masculine a little bit there. And, mm. um, I don't do that today at all, but... Uh, I was just curious, you mentioned beautiful body. Is there, just before we get started here, is there a, a contradiction or a problem that uh, people, that women uh, confuse a perfect body with a beautiful body? In other words, they're trying for perfection when there is no such thing, but they might have well, a beautiful the body that's, thing... not, that's not what other, like society considers, you know, perfect, Yeah. but it's still beautiful. So the interesting, the interesting thing about, about men, I think uh, one of the lovely things about men that I think a lot of women don't realize is men are really good at screening out um, the other and focusing on a woman's beauty. So one thing we teach in our classes is noticing beauty in yourself and others, making your eyes, eyes that see beauty instead of problems. And again, this goes back to manifesting and getting more what you want, but, but to notice mm-hmm. the beauty in yourself, we, we, we intentionally teach them how to notice. We don't have mirrors in the classroom. And when the masculine does really well that women don't, don't really understand is that <clears throat> they're really good. Like when women are self-critical about their bodies, if a man loves you, he's emotionally connected and attracted to you. Um, and he loves you. He will see the parts that he finds juicy and luscious. And he doesn't even notice the stuff that you're critiquing. Like if you have a little bit of a muffin top, if you have a little bit, a man that's in love, they're really good at, you don't have to worry about that. They're going to look at the parts that they want to look at and be turned on, and they really are, are good at that, at loving the feminine body. They're much more forgiving than we are. That's interesting. So. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I, I agree with you because uh, I've mm-hmm. seen that. You know, it's like, what are you worried about? No, oh, I'm five pounds overweight. What, are you kidding? No, you look great. Don't worry about it. You know, things like that. All, I, and, so, and then like what happens myself. if – and then if she holds that belief, what happens mm-hmm. in the bedroom? If she's holding that belief about herself, she's right. closed down. Her body posture changes. She's less like she doesn't want the lights on. She's less turned on. A woman has to be turned on by herself. I don't mean like lubricated, aroused sexually necessarily, although that can happen. I mean like the thought of her when she looks at herself, she's like, God, you're gorgeous. You're so strong. Um, I love this curve. She doesn't notice anymore the things she used to critique. And that comes with a lot of habits over time, just like, abundance, success, goal setting, you can, you can curate that in your mental set belief about yourself to the point where you turn yourself on like your personality qualities, your gifts, your values, and that's what we're going for. And so in the layers of sexual realization, I want to cover them briefly because it's really interesting. And I want to focus on um, the second one. So the layers are, the first one is flatline. I think we've gone over this in the past briefly, but that's when a woman or a person is completely cut off from their body. So it's almost dissociation, like we hear about in trauma. And it is trauma. The trauma is the reason why we are not soulfully sexual. But so flatline, and this can be um, healthy flatline where you can, you know, you turn down all sexuality, all sensuality. You sort of go in a robotic productive state, maybe at work in a business meeting in a place where your body feels unsafe. Yeah. So you can, you can go into flatline 
intentionally. Yeah, guys but never a lot go of women. Online, by the way, we're we're always thinking sexually, always, even in brand social business situations. I would not that. say never. I would not say never. I would say there are situations where someone in a male body with a male brain is going to intentionally turn off. And, and, and I think men are very sensitive. And, um, but, but usually it's more predominant in women to do this. And, and the sad thing is when it's unintentional. I don't want to say the sad thing. The, the reality for many women is it's unintentional. So due to trauma, not feeling um, like their body is safe ever, um, religious beliefs that are shaming, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of reasons, but uh, some women are walking around just very disconnected and very, um, and you can feel it. A man can feel this mm-hmm. very clearly. He may not know what he's feeling, but he can energetically pick up on it like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so. Well, I think it's confusing for men because if they're <clears throat> with someone that they love, care about, you know, um, and find them attractive. Uh, is it, we don't, you know, if you find, I think with guys, it's either find someone attractive or you don't. It's not, I find this about them attractive and I find, and they don't have like 99 criteria. Uh, and so if you, if you've crossed that threshold, if you're, if the guy finds you attractive, you know, then a lot of little things don't matter. And I think women, like you're saying, could self-sabotage. So, you know, as, as like a guy will say, oh, you, you know, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. And she'll say, no, I'm not. You don't really mean that. I, I've got this wrong with me. I need to lose five pounds. You know, my feet are too big. Uh, you know, my hair color is wrong. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Just makeup stuff. And the guy said, what are you talking about? You look great. And so the guy's confused. You know, and it's like there's a lot of self-sabotage, <clears throat> I would say. Focusing yeah, on... And it sabotages the relationship. It sabotages her ability to have pleasure physically. Huh. Um, it, it fucks the whole thing up. Excuse me, I language. So what we want to do is um, we want to figure out, we can figure out why. And I'll be honest, a lot of therapy goes to why. I'm moving more and more towards we don't actually need to know why. We can oh, because w- women, women love that question. The feminine loves why, why, why did he do this? Why did he do this? Why? You know, and that's not always helpful. When you go down that path, sometimes answers are uncovered that bring you back into the energetic state mm-hmm. where you don't want to be. You know, um, so it's hard to manifest from a low vibrational state, right? So it's hard to attract things to you if your thoughts are super um, in a trauma situation or in, and, and it's not necessary to move your life forward. I think there's this myth and I'm not sure, again, this isn't necessarily my specialty, but um, that you have to go deeply into where did it come from? You know, because if you haven't resolved that and come to peace with it, it just gets you right back down in the mud which is very hard to get out of. So, you know, the goal is to move ahead to, okay, I'm flatlined. There's a million reasons. It could have been this thing that happened. But, you know, the most important thing is how do I now start to wake up and reignite that fire, the fire of self-love, the fire of excitement and curiosity about life and curiosity about other people and um, finding my pleasure and joy, making those lists of things that bring me joy and intentionally doing them every day. So the goal for me is getting women moving upward and outward, not necessarily delving down into recreating the situations and <clears throat> having dark energy. If they want to do that, we do that with music in class, but um, that's not really my focus. So um, flatline is very uh, self is very controlled, right? It's very fearful, usually very fearful and very controlled. And the next level <clears throat> that's really interesting to me is the presentational, performative. So sexuality that's 
there for others' pleasure only to its image control. Hmm. Yeah. And women, this is ubiquitous in our society with women now. And it's very encouraged, I think, seems like it, to presenting sexuality on the surface. Mm -hmm. Well, you can be sexual but not too sexual. It's a a very fine line, it seems to me, that women can be attractive but not too attractive. And the ones that are going to get after them are the women. (laughs) You're too attractive. The the guys are being distracted. You know, and it's like, guys don't care. It's like, hey, this is really attractive. You know, look at my my favorite is WKRP in Cincinnati. You know, Lonnie Anderson, who was the glamorous blonde, you know, the, 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 you know, and uh, Chris, who did all those guys like at 12 years old? You know, Bailey Quarters. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's the old, uh, you know, Ginger versus Marianne, the old Gilligan's Island, Island debate. This might be a bit before your time. However, guys don't necessarily like the most glamorous woman. It's, it's really right. something that's, that's quite fascinating because they want someone they can talk to, not someone who's unreachable, who's, you know, on, on some kind of, you know, some guys might like a woman on a pedestal. I don't. I don't have to climb a pedestal every it's time. It's usually a status. It's usually a status oh. thing, and, and the male the male counterpart okay. to that is we're, we're both performative. We both do not actually have um, our our success. Our feeling of self worth has come from having outward three D three D world, you know, success, huh. having a lot of money, having a lot of power, and it's usually service to self. It's usually not a service to others. So somebody who's going for the glamorous trophy <clears throat> probably hasn't built their business and their and their life on service to to, to others. Right. And so this is another um, checkbox to prove to Daddy I'm I deserve his attention and his I mean whatever they're working on right whatever the wounding is. That that's my feeling. It's like a, a piece of frosted beautiful cake that's you know someone spent hours on just so beautiful. You know, you may not even want to eat it, but it's pretty to look at. You know, it's going to make you feel a little sick. You know? Find I mean, the bright side, you know. Well, it's, it's like the, the glass is half full or half empty. You know, do you look at your relationships looking for the bright side? Hey, this went really well. This is good. You know, I mean, or, or like something that totally gets screwed up. You know, that got screwed up, but we got closer. We had fun. Or getting caught in the rain. Typical example. You know, some people look at that. Oh, damn, I got caught in the rain. It was horrible. Or I'll be like, I got caught in the rain and found a cafe to warm up. <laughs> Isn't this great? You know, it's all how you go through life. You're an optimist or a pessimist. If you're performance-oriented, yep. then your feelings are dependent on what other, you think other people think about you. That's a horrible way to live, I would think. Everything, in, in the level of presentational sexy, everything is, everything is geared to hook and seduce to try to get love. So the, the, the wounding on that one is I'm not enough. And wow. I must work hard, work hard and be perfect to be loved by daddy or mommy or whatever. And it doesn't really matter how I feel. What matters right. is how I, how I produce and how I present. <clears throat> and so, so there can be a subtle presentational where, um, you know, that you're not being hit on the head over it, but just a little, like, I'm not embodying my sexuality, but I, I'm like, my questions are, is this sexy? Do you think this is sexy? Does this look sexy to everybody? It's kind of more of a shy, timid, presentational. And you can actually have an authentic presentational where mm-hmm. she, does, she does actually feel sexy, but she hasn't really embodied herself. Um, there's a little, there's still some body discretion. It's not overt and in your face. Um, it's more a culturally appropriate place of being seen and heard. Um, so she's aware of others and aware of herself, but it's still in a presentational more type way. 
the, the emphasis is more on um, how does this look. Um, overtly, we see this, <clears throat> you see this out and about, especially with some younger, well, actually women up until their 40s, we're seeing this everywhere mm-hmm. now, um, <laughs> kind of a forced presentation of the feminine body beyond what's natural and comfortable. So super tight jeans, you know, really a lot of hair extensions, a lot of fake eyelashes, just it's not really natural and comfortable. Um, and it's a little in your face and then, you know, and you can, you can see that, um, a lot of surgery, just, trying really hard to look good for the outside world. But that's a turn right? for guys. You know, it's like a red flag. You see a bunch of, you know, you see big hair. We joke about big hair or, or like eyelashes six times longer than normal. We just laugh at that. We think, what are you hiding? What's, what's, you know, why are you hiding behind all that or, or makeup that's a quarter inch thick? We know. You I mean, know, I think a woman can get away with one or two little things because I think men understand that women like to play, you know? Yeah. But there's enhancing, but and then there's, you know, the, the trowel. <laughs> it's, a, it's a completely different uh, approach. Yeah, the desperation to be loved. And like I said, you know, you know, the two men are very, very keen, and they pick up things, subtleties. Women don't realize that. They think men are blockheads. A lot of, a lot of women, they think, you know, they're not sensitive. They don't like commitment. They don't. And a lot of that is opposite. They just want things that are authentic and safe for them. And that they can trust. <laughs> yeah. See, that's a huge topic that, uh, that, you, that you brought up here because a lot of guys, you know, we, we don't want to be thought of as idiots. We don't want to uh, have our opinions totally negated, you know, just because we said it just because we're guys, you know. And as you were saying earlier, you know, guys are perceptive in certain ways and women are perceptive in certain ways. And that's the beauty of a relationship is you get to look at, you know, you, like a guy look at something one way and see it completely different than the woman. It's like, oh, I never thought of that. That should be an advantage, not a detriment. You know, you should be able to, this is, this is the difference between if you're comfortable in yourself, you'll see somebody else's qualities as an advantage. Oh boy, I'm with this person. They're so smart. They, they realize this. And that's how I try to look at it. As opposed to, damn, I wish I thought of that first, then I'd look more impressive to them. You know, that's presentational. Well, I got that about right. It's presentational and it's also competitive, which if we're talking about intimate hmm. relationships, we really want to get away from, right? Especially women. You, you don't want to be... You don't want to be the know-it-all. That's not a turn-on. I mean, it depends on what you want. You want a, you want a best friend of equal polarity, or do you want a masculine, strong leader? Because you you can't keep competing with him on opinions. And I mean, this is going into another topic. But okay, so yes, Back on so track. the fourth type of <laughs> the fourth type of presentational um, or performative sexuality is <clears throat> the exploitative. Um, using superficial sexuality to basically control and and dominate, Um, completely disconnected from from the heart, uh, functioning from fear, desperation, distrust, and and this goes back to the shadow feminine wounding Mm -hmm. of control. Control. So my my sexuality is only um, to punish, to make jealous, to get what I want um, in a desperate attempt to feel safe. I mean, this is very ugly and, and almost evil. It's my, my opinion. This is, and, and we see that we do see this everywhere. And in fact, on social media, sometimes this is encouraged. A lot of this is encouraged. And I think the feminine has been so neglected, unseen and, and pushed down that this is the pendulum swinging. This is the rage. They call it Shiva you know, energy, this is the, 
anger Isn't that a cat food? and the push the pushback. Yeah. Well, and this is a problem. Um, you know, exploitive. I was just as you were talking, how many uh uh married people would hold sex from their partner knowing that the, if they went and cheated they'd be breaking their marriage vows. So there's a trap there. And also knowing that they don't want to have sex and that's a trap and it's a control thing. And this works for men and women. And I'm sure there are guys you don't hear about it as so much, but I'm sure guys withhold sex too. Um, and it, it's, uh, it seems very, <laughs> Marcos is in the Netherlands. Yes, she is a cat food. Okay. Thanks, Marco. Uh, but do you find that that's one of the most dangerous controlling factors is like, uh, you know, why the whole point of being in a marriage is that, you know, love and sex and wonderful stuff and sharing and partnership and all that. But if you take that sex component out, you got a problem, especially if you're using that to control the other person, knowing that in a marriage, you know, if they cheat or go find someone else to have sex with, you know, they, they violate the marriage vow. And a good person won't do that, but a good person will suffer, you know, with a non-sexual relationship, even though it's a marriage, where you're supposed to have lots of sex. Well, that's that? interesting that you mention that. So hmm. I, I believe the masculine and feminine think differently about why we have sex in an intimate relationship. Mm. And, ooh, okay, so, so, so the, again, I'm kind of forming my thoughts as I go, so... But the masculine okay. has these has these feelings of duty, right? A, a healthy masculine believes in in duty and integrity, and that be, this is my this is my duty. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what a man does. Oh, I thought you, women did. You that. know, and <laughs> I'm married to have to have sex with this guy. <laughs> uh, it's Wednesday, <laughs> you know, something like that. That's really a guy trait. I, mean, I just you know, I always find these revelations fascinating. No, we we don't. We feminine do not ever. In fact. If we begin hmm. to feel because we were told or it was insinuated to us that we should by culture, by our husbands, then they do things like drink, take drugs. They'll do anything to try to make themselves want to. But that is not a feminine um, inclination. That is not a motivator. Duty is not hmm. a feminine motivator. And I'm going to say that and some women might say, oh, well, I feel okay. So. When you're integrating your healthy masculine, yeah, you can you can align with duty and say, yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna align with the energy of if it's my responsibility, I'm gonna do it. Da, da, da. Okay, that's great, but it's huh. not a feminine energy. So in sexuality, right. in a marriage, in a in a long term relationship, if um, a man's impetus is that if if his wife wants sex, even if he's not, even if he's super busy with a work project, something where a man isn't going to necessarily be jumping into it where his, he might, his focus might not be on um, sex as much. So I've, I've talked to a lot of men who are, are, are entrepreneurs creating businesses. Their focus mm-hmm. is not on relationship at all. In fact, they frequently won't date even for I years. Can yeah, I can relate because okay. I'm really yeah. yeah, exactly. So it turns yeah. down, it turns the testosterone and the masculine drive into creating versus providing protecting for a woman and that's healthy and there's nothing wrong with that so in a marriage there are reasons why sometimes he won't want to but if, if he knows she does and the way she communicates is very feminine and very um reaches his heart he will do it from a sense of duty even if it's not the right time for him okay so a woman that's really interesting however, I, I, I would have thought that's, yeah. one of that's, that's fascinating okay I no, no idea. a woman um, won't do that and if you try to reach her if you, mm-hmm. if a man, I think this is a huge mistake that a man can make in a relationship. If he tries to um, appeal to her sense of duty, it is a huge turnoff. Usually, oh no, I, think, again, I absolutely agree with you. Well, I'm saying that I thought women felt like the, the pressure. Women felt like the pressure because to have been, sex is their because duty. Because that's been suggested. 
because that's oh, been that's suggested. That's been told to us by culture. That's been told even by some therapists. Yeah, it's not going to work. And that's definitely <laughs> been, it ain't going to work. That's, what, that's because a man thinks she must be motivated like he is. He's not because a well, woman thinks the same thing about men. So I'm not criticizing men. We do that to yeah, each no, other all the time. Okay. And he's yeah. like, I'm going to appeal to her sense of duty. And she's like even more turned off. She feels now shame and confusion. That to me is irrational. And, uh, you know, don't mm-hmm. have sex because, you know, you owe me or it's your duty. That, that to me, that's the, that'd be the dumbest thing a guy could say. You know, or well, he may not <laughs> even right say it that way. He might say, it's my oh. right. We're married. I'm entitled? We're supposed to do oh. this. It's like, yeah. Okay. Like you're worth Make it more you subtle. Know, this is what, well, he, he doesn't even understand. He just knows he feels like mm-hmm. he wants to, and he's going to use what would work for him if he heard it, what, mm-hmm. what would stimulate him. And he's going to use that for her. And anyway, it's a mistake. But, but wouldn't um, <laughs> you marry somebody that you found so attractive you want to have sex with all the time anyway? I mean, isn't that like but a criteria? Can, yes, but stuff happens. But, so right. sexual tension, you know, sexual tension is usually, um, you know, from unfamiliar, unfamiliarity and um, emotional, like, um, not disconnection. There's, hmm. there's some factors that cause sexual tension. And if you have a long-term relationship and you're mm-hmm. not doing the things that keep sexual tension, which are not natural for a lot of us because we're not seeing it in our parents, we're not seeing it in the culture. So a lot of us have to learn that. And we're not really? consciously doing those, those things that, that keep sexual tension, keep sexual spark, keep polarity. It fades. And, and nobody's perfect. So when it fades, how right. do you change your mind about what you need to have a great sexual relationship? How do you shift? Okay, does it have to be when both people are turned on and want to? I mean, no, is you can that turn like on the other person. Isn't that part of the fun of seducing somebody that was thinking, yeah, I have to do laundry, I have to do this. I said, well, uh, you know, I've got another idea, you know. Well, you know I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, all these things come to mind. Uh, you know, and so her sit mind on, is, sit on the dryer here yeah, on high wanna, for a while and let's talk. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean you, you and, and her mind is, her mind is, oh, I have all these things to do and you just want sex and I don't feel supported. So it sounds good. If everything else is in place, right. but usually everything else isn't in place. And so, oh, no, you got, yeah. See, I live for the innuendo. I mean, window. I mean I, I'm, a, I'm a constant flirt, which you probably guessed by, by talking to me on the show here. I'm hopeless, constant. I mean, just, I live for innuendos. I just do because it's funny. And it, you know, it keeps sex on the brain. And it's just, that's just how I talk a lot of times. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah. Well, you know, men need sex go, and it's very spiritual for them. It's very healing for them. And I don't believe women understand that either. And that's a whole other yeah. topic that um, what happens yeah, to biological. a man We're in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. What happens to a man in a relationship that's like what happens spiritually for him, what happens physically, what happens mentally, like it's very different than the feminine experience. And I feel hmm. like if, if women understood that more in marriage and in relationships, there, they would be a shift of, their attitude towards sex and they would understand um, how crucial it is and what they're providing for him. And, and so that's another, another, um, another interesting, that's, interesting that's a whole topic show right there. also. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And of course I'll challenge you on the word provide, but that, as you can probably imagine, but that's fascinating. You know, is it's providing. That, uh, how, how, yeah. What do you provide yeah. for your partner? What does it you provide know. for me? I mean, look, is it, well, you don't hear men that, providing um, sex for women. It's, yeah. it's just an interesting Why not? terminology. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's wrong. I, think, I agree with you, but I'm just, it's just an interesting choice of words. You know me. I pick up on words real fast. 
Well, but yeah, so let's think of, well, we can go off on that topic, but it does provide, and a man that is in love with the woman and in his masculine energy wants to provide. That's part of his, that's Mm -hmm. part of his makeup. You can't, and so if she and he both see it as providing, it it shifts the consciousness and he's going to be more willing to do it. Let's say he only wants it two times a week. And she mm-hmm. feels a great source of connection, love, and beauty. And, um, and, and, I mean, women want to be penetrated when they're in love and when they trust and feel safe with their man. And so mm-hmm. there's a feeling that happens for them when there's both an emotional penetration and a physical. It, it's, it's transcendental. So if he mm-hmm. knows it provides that for her and she wants it four times a week, and he only mm-hmm. wants it two, his motivation for doing it is no longer going to be because I have an erection and I'm turned on and I'm thinking about sex while I'm at work today, even if his testosterone hasn't built up and he hasn't gotten that craving and desire that happens for men when they have to go a long time without it, even if Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen, he is going to be motivated in other directions and that in itself will turn him on. And that's a very beautiful, cool thing, I think. Can you, it's fascinating. This is, is, I I love our talks. Can you tell when a couple's having a healthy sexual relationship and when they're not? What does that mean? What do you mean? Can you tell? Can I tell? Can you or can tell? Can you, tell? can you see overtly? Do you see mm-hmm. signs of, of maybe arguments or picky little nitpicky things or, or people don't feel connected in other ways? Emotionally, they don't talk as much. They don't interact. They don't hold hands. Do you, have you seen, I mean, this has come up in conversations with women and working with women. You know, I don't feel connected with my guy because yeah. he, too much sex, not enough sex. But I'm just wondering. I mean, uh, I was a tour guide and I watched couples for years. And I think I could tell you, you know, who, who's going to get, uh, who's having a happy marriage and who is going to be divorced next month. Um, it was pretty obvious. Yeah. You can, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like if you're, if you're out in public with that right. focus and looking, it, it would be very, very, pretty easy, pretty easy. Although there's outliers, right? Especially if you well, have nothing, two very masculine. Exact. Yeah. If you have two very masculine energy people in relationships that have decided mm-hmm. whether consciously or unconsciously to base their relationship on, um, achievement, success, uh, basically a business partnership. And that happens sometimes. (laughs) And if both are sort of balanced, masculine, feminine, it might work. I don't know, but they might be having that scheduled sex. So, uh, we are going to have a quote, good relationship. So we, every Sunday we have sex together and, and, and that (laughs) might work for them. You know, that is a real setup that I've seen. And if that works wow. and both people's needs are met, go for it. There's nothing okay. wrong with yep. that. I mean, if, I as long as it's happy judgmental. and you're feeling, yeah. I mean, look, we are all okay. in different stages of life. If you're a man and you're in the entrepreneur creating stage of your life, you, your needs are different than when they are, you know, in the 40s, 50s, when usually the stuff comes to fruition, the brain changes, the hormone changes. And a man is focused more on emotional connection and his gets more verbal and, um, you know, a lot of changes happen. So in the different stages, different things work and there's nothing wrong with that. The goal is happiness, fulfillment, and that where you are now is where you want to be and where you're going is where you're headed. So as long as it works. But what I tend to talk about is the many, 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 many women that find themselves disconnected from their feminine energy, lacking polarity in relationships, not knowing why and wanting to get there and get to a place where I turn myself on. I have pleasure. I'm not performing. I'm wild and messy and full of great emotions that I can regulate, but I can also show 
which is wildly attractive to men. They love it. So, you know, but I'd like to touch one more thing on the performative. Sure. This is really, I feel like the, the crux of this, why this is so important. Um, if you're not motivated just for joy and happiness to get to a soulful state of sexuality, here's another motivation for the women who are really in performative mode and, and before they leave the house and everything they do and say is the goal is to hook and seduce and be seen as hot and beautiful by others, mm-hmm. um, to be sexually irresistible, shall we say. So what happens when you enter a relationship with a man and you're leading with sexuality and you're leading with performance? So an interesting for one thing, but uh, (laughs) at some point he's going to want something else, like a nice conversation, you know, dinner, (laughs) you know, a trip, an adventure, you know, fun stuff to talk about. Yeah. Goofy things. Just sitting around on a Sunday. Yeah. Yes. Men crave genuine emotional connection. They also need sex. So they will look at you and not consciously, maybe not consciously, if you cannot provide true divine feminine energy to him, the healing, playful, curious, receptive, he will then take what he, what he can get his needs met because he needs to function in the world. He's a hunter. He's a builder. He's a creator. And if mm-hmm. all you can give him is the sex part, he will take the sex part. And as the woman will think, oh, he likes me. Oh, it worked. And he is not going to devote himself to you. He is not going to be keep you safe and secure and be your masculine provider. He, he sees exactly what you're doing. You cannot mm-hmm. offer him what he wants with his emotional availability. That mm-hmm. those two things are, are opposite. They cancel each other out when you're performative sexually and your goal is to hook and seduce and get that, that dopamine, that addiction feeling of I'm good enough. Cause that's what it is. You will not, you'll really can't just about canceling out your chances of getting him to step up and really be your partner and put his arm around you mm-hmm. metaphorically in life and, and say, I got you, you know, I want to take care of you and, and I treasure you. So what happens, and, and we can talk about that for a moment, but there's one more. Feel free. Let's keep on schedule. Just <sighs> you know me. I always, I always yeah. have 50 questions for every point you bring up. It's just, you know, well, you can, that's fine. And I don't want to, your questions are probably everyone else's. So I don't want to, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> I just, well, I know, pretty inventive. Well, you never know. Well, I think I ask questions that guys would like to ask, but they're they're afraid to. Mm. Or revelations about guys that they don't want to talk about. But uh, women, yeah. just, uh, just in, in point of what you're saying here, women do not try to understand men. There's, there's an arrogance about women that they know men, that men are very simple. It's exactly what I said before, yeah. that uh, they only want one thing. I mean, I see this over and over. You know, and like the worst thing, if you, if you really want to turn off a guy, you know, on, on like Facebook, for example, brag about how many guys you got to buy dinner for you. That's like instant turn off. We, we don't nothing to do with you at that point. You know, so, so don't brag about your accomplishments in that way because you're using sex to, uh, you know, uh, gain some kind of advantage. And it's just, but uh, women do not want to understand men. And this is fascinating to me that, uh, you know, is it the mothers raise their daughters to uh, think that uh, well, uh, they, they understand everything they the do. way the they mothers women think they do because women women get their sources of information from each other and okay. um and the out and the outline culture so <clears throat> currently women think they understand men and i'm and i'm laughing all the way to my completely filled up date schedule i'm just going to say and again yeah. you know i'm single and i date and i'm i'm this is tongue in cheek but i'm laughing all the way to my because they think they understand men and what they're mm-hmm. what they they're so wrong 
they're so so twisted and backward, and all they're doing is is keeping themselves isolated and lonely. Um, and they wonder why guys ask them out. <laughs> well, you're giving off really horrible vibes. Don't do that. Or get one date and don't call for another one. And and men want yeah. to connect. They want to have a partner. Most men, yep. you know, want commitment even more than women. You know, we have a lot of social connections usually. And a lot of men go out in the world, work really hard, are like, mm-hmm. you know, I always just have this image of like being blasted with, you know, weapons from left and right and having to heal themselves <laughs> and having to push through this like yeah. firewall coming at them. And then they want the to come home to something beautiful and soft and, 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 and receptive and listening and calm and open and playful and just relax and, and, and like a home. And, mm-hmm. um, and when they have that, they will commit. They commit more than women. They're they will. They have well, that sense of beauty. Well, that's an interesting statement. And, so, mm. so let's let's. Yeah, that's that's huge. Women don't realize that. Yeah. You know, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, when she was on the radio, used to say that men will walk across, you know, shards of broken glass barefoot for more women they love. It's very true. Yeah. We do ridiculous things. It's beautiful. For, for, uh, yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's so beautiful, and women don't know how to. They want to get that love, and they don't know how to do it because our culture. But they've lies. already got it. Every, they, they give it away. That's the they give oh, away I love that, that love. That. <laughs> the guys will offer it, and the women give it away. Oh, you don't really mean that. You're not really in love with me. You know, five pounds overweight. You because know, they're not in love with, with themselves. Because exactly. they're not in love with themselves, and because they don't know what they want. And look, mm. people come to the table with wounding, and so although mm. men, at their core nature, are beautiful people, they have wounding too. And if they haven't done their work. They will say, mm-hmm. well, as soon as the intimacy comes, they go back into their habits. I was working with one man who kept, mm-hmm. you know, he'd meet wonderful women. Mm-hmm. He, he was attractive to, to really good women and women that he liked. And once the relationship, he got all the, you know, the romantic stuff, the first three months, the promises, the closeness, um, the emotional connection was in place, uh, the physical attraction. Once he, quote, got her, okay. Um, oh, contract signed, the deal's done. Was he a car salesman? Yeah, and, and well, hold on. So it is typical for a man once once he has his woman to take a right. little bit of that energy back to his work and back to because if he if he's the kind of person who's like a lot of women and they get so caught up in the relationship, it's all they think about, it's all they talk about. Women love love, right? And we do That's that. True. The, blah, the blah, feminine blah. will just spend all like half her day, you know, thinking about how she you know how she can make his life better and what meals are going to cook mm. and what the next. And she'll talk to her friends and they'll they'll overanalyze everything he said and like, whatever. So men, if a man, a masculine man were to act like that, we would have Mm -hmm. no house. We would have no security. We would have no no nations being built, no communities. Like Mm -hmm. the masculine beauty, the masculine energy is the the building. So, so, okay, so that's a natural thing. So after three months, you know, the honeymoon phase, they call it. He he doesn't pull away because he's a, a jerk. Usually, again, there's, there's the wounding. And we're, I'm yeah, let's talk about, about the, the average, the majority. So he, a healthy yeah. masculine man will, will pace the relationship slowly, first of all, will not let, let love be declared after two dates. You know what I mean? That's not a masculine <laughs> man. Okay. Um, right. But there are men that will do that. So that's not this topic. But um, so a, a truly masculine man will pace the relationship healthily, get to know each mm-hmm. other, you know, and then and then there'll be a lot strong feelings of love and passion, but it's not abnormal for after three to five to six months there to be what what she interprets as a pull away, right? Or she interprets as a as like less attention, less. And so she well, couldn't panic, that be comfort you know, or or 
you know, or you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're comfortable in a relationship, you've established it. You know, it's not that you don't have to do the things that, that keep it going, but you, you know, you're, you're there, you're more secure. So if a guy's more secure mm-hmm. in a relationship, he might not, you know, say, I love you 15 times a day. He might say a couple times a week. Doesn't mean he loves any less. It's just that it's already yeah, established. So you know, we get if I change addicted, my mind, I'll let you know. We've talked about addiction before, and, and right. the neurotransmitters of love and sex are addictive also. They can be very addictive. So if we don't have enough sources in our lives of fulfilling, happy, exciting things happening, if I'm, if I'm an isolated woman who doesn't have a lot of friends, who just goes to work and comes home, I don't really like my job, I'm not really happy with my body, you know, let's, let's go back into, you know, these self-esteem and these internal beliefs and right. how we're creating happiness, right? When mm-hmm. that man comes along and he says those things and he kisses us and he, and then he starts to, and we get all, I'm like, oh my gosh, it becomes our life, right? Like, oh, I finally have something worth living for, you know, whatever. But like, I finally have something that makes me happy, something that, you know, and then, um, and then that non-sustainable passion and intensity begins to settle into something more regular and routine, building yeah, a long-term relationship. Yeah, but you got to keep the passion. You, you got to keep it she going. Be, well, I'm not saying the passion's gone, but I'm saying for a lot of people, a lot of mm-hmm. women, when the slight subsiding happens, the natural settling down from the initial honeymoon phase, they get very panicked and they get very, um, you know, and and then they begin to um, change and, and they begin to get a little desperate and I don't remember. I don't remember. I was going with that, but we were talking about something. No, that's okay. No, I, I had a question. About... I, I was thinking of. So, oh, you know, go ahead. Um, do do men know how much women like sex? Because we're told she doesn't want it. You got to do this. You know, she'll give it to you or give it up or all this other kind of stuff. And I think that's a bunch of nonsense. Um, but I think if guys knew, and they'd be more confident in themselves. I think she really does like sex. Well, that's, this is great. So that comes from cultural messaging, right? We were told okay. that if we were sexual and if we wanted sex and something was wrong with us. We were a harlot. We were, you know, we were, we were, we were slutty, you know? Um, so, so that's still being given. That message is being given to women. Not only should they not, they should, they should withhold and not want sex and make him wait and use it as a weapon. We're talking about presentational yep. sexy now. This is the exploitive weapon. never work out. But, but good also comes be that. super sexy, yeah. be the sexiest, yeah. be the most inflated, the most, but also be the most controlling. Mm-hmm. So that will not get a husband, a good husband at all. That will get a, word for that. a man that a man that is a taker, a taker, yeah. a player, a taker, right. a wounded man, a man that his whole self-esteem is making daddy think I'm good enough. Okay. So interesting. And one, one thing that I think women don't realize, and this is huge for me, is that when you lead with this sexual, irresistible sexuality, this presentation, Okay, so a man has these three, well, people have these three urges, right? Protect, provide, and procreate, right? So the three, mm-hmm. like, primitive urges that a masculine man will have is protection, providing, and procreating, right? So we talked about, like, in his business, he might be less, um, less emotionally and sexually available. Yeah, yeah, less emotionally and sexually available because all of his energy is on building this thing. And so um, Alison Armstrong talks about this in her, in her book, and she talks about, um, she calls it the page stage, the night stage, the king stage. It's really very good. And she hmm. attributes the stages of a man's life. And so, it, you know, if you're looking for a man in his king stage, be ready to have a different relationship than a man that is in a building stage or a night stage or a, more of a playful stage in life. So. Yeah. So here's my question. Can you, do both? 
So here's my here's my situation. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm building Action Radio. We're about to go on Rumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the world's mm-hmm. first citizen legislation day. Uh, I work at this 16 to 18 hours a day. But it's still be nice to have a girlfriend. But it, I'm almost too busy. I don't, I don't like to bring myself personally into this too yep. much. There are guys like me out there that would like to have a girlfriend, would like to have be, be mm-hmm. that close to someone. But unfortunately, a lot of times... In order to have that relationship, it takes too much away from everything else I'm doing. So my concern, and I bet you a lot of entrepreneurs' concern, is that, you know, how do we have, you know, it's almost like I'd like to find a girlfriend as busy as I am because she's got business, i got my business, we get together, you know, have a blast, then we go back to work. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if you can do so that. I have no idea if that balance That's a very works, good but, point. That's a very yeah. good point. It's an excellent point. And I was married to a man. You know, we got pregnant and he was in the middle of creating a business, his several businesses. He was deeply in this stage. I did not understand it. I was very lonely in the marriage. I, I made my own happiness. I was really good at that. I was really good at raising the kids. I was really good at finding friends. I did all the right hmm. things. However, I can speak to the fact that if a woman doesn't understand this, I didn't get this education until after my marriage, really. And well, right. until after the end that... And, and, and I probably would have chosen, I may have chosen differently. I may not have, but I definitely would have, wouldn't have felt like something was lacking. I would have understood it more, but mm-hmm. I would agree with you that, yes, if you're in the building stage, you're probably best suited for a woman also in her building stage or in, you know, in her stage of um, whatever she is, whatever she's focused on outside of having most of, most of her energy in a relationship. So whatever that is, Right. Um, or to be very open with women and say, you know, this might not, this is what it's probably going to look like. I will give you all the extra energy I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And I, will, I can give you as many, <laughs> well, as many words as you need. I can send you flowers. I mm-hmm. can, because there are things, no matter how busy a man is, there are things he can do that speak to a woman's heart. So, I make time you know, for friends and things. And I make time to, you know, meet new folks, especially, but it's a lot of times it's business related because we're just talking, but new friends and people mm-hmm. that come into my life, I definitely make time for them because that's important. Mm-hmm. So a man can, there's ways he can make her feel loved, even if he's right. in his building stage. So that's not saying you can't have a relationship, but she has mm-hmm. to understand his resources are going to be focused on that. And that's a good thing. And when he does have time for her, I mean, she'll be able to tell like, a man who loves a woman will make, will make time. He will, he'll figure it out and he'll also learn her love languages and make sure that the time he does have with her is, is maximized. And so, yeah, is that, that was what I was going to say. It's, it's going to be really important time. It's like, I've got mm-hmm. six hours with nothing to do. Let's go to dinner, you know, whatever, or, or something like that. You know, of course you don't even want to put a time limit on this. Like, Hey, I've got time. I've got, you know, I've got an opportunity. I've got, I want to do this. I wouldn't even say the time now that I think about it. It's like, let's do this on this day kind of thing. Um, yeah, he can lead but, with but, fun uh, dates that speak to her. He can, he can send gifts. He can use lots of words. He can make her feel so loved, even if his presence mm-hmm. isn't there, that, that it fills her bucket. And she's, she's, gonna, she's going to put aside any other suitors or options that might be more available because she sees that mm-hmm. not only does he build and he's in his masculine and he's making something amazing, a legacy, but he's doing it for her. He wants her as yes, part sharing. of it. And he's going to continue to love her and give her, feel, yeah. feel her feminine energy, even if, you know, and I mean, there's something so beautiful about that, but, but not all men are aware of, of what they need to do to keep the woman during their building. 
Oh, no, that makes um, perfect sense. But this is why, you know, like I said, I've set myself up. I don't have pets. I don't have, you know, massive expenses. I don't have, you know, huge family here. There's a lot of things I don't have that would take up my time. So I can devote this. So then I, the, time, the free time that I do make for myself, I can do, I can go sit on a beach for a whole afternoon. You know, so there's, there's definitely time to do stuff. Um, but that's, that's balance. So in other words, and that's part of the thing that people make too many commitments. Oh, I've got a dog. I've got this. I've got, uh, you know, whatever else. I've got three car payments. <laughs> you know, I mean, people. Outsource. <laughs> men, men, outsource. If you are building ah, and you have enough me. money, get mm-hmm. the neighborhood kid to mow your lawn. Get yeah. your mother-in-law, even if she annoys you, she's retired and she's always trying to see the kids. Let her come over and feed the kids. Let her, like, yeah. allow the people who are going to support you to support you so you can build. A lot of men have this feeling like, I want to do it all myself. If I don't do it all myself like my rough and rugged dad did or whatever. Oh, that's no. a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, Action Radio is the most cooperative thing I've ever done. <laughs> do you have many people co- I've got 14 reporters, 24 Facebook groups. I've got people all over the place. We're all coming together for a Citizen Legislation Day. This is the most cooperative venture, far more than any job I've been on. We all co- cooperate. And anybody who's well, free to tell me what they think. Well, you're a beautiful thing, and your oh, energy is you. amazing. And I, I'm going to make one more point before I get off the phone at 11, because okay. I have an 1130. Because this okay. is my favorite, favorite, juiciest part of this all. And Ooh, this conversation is far from being over. But this one is one that right now in my feminine heart I get so excited about. Um, it's like my... Oh, yes. Okay, so when a woman is too sexually enticing, when there's too much chemistry, because chemistry is energetic mm-hmm. and physical, um, every man has a certain fantasy type. It is not, not always a good idea for a man's physical fantasy type to be his long-term relationship. And this is why, and this is oh. why also we don't want women to lead with sexuality um, at all. At all. You want to. It's fun. Do it for fun. Out with your girlfriends. Have fun with it. Don't think it's going to get your relationship. This is why. If a man is in his procreation, sexual energy, that's, that's a building, that's a sexual taking energy, not a building. Sorry. That is the, the procreation is uh, the, the, the primitive urge to spread your seed and, and make babies um, and relieve your, your urge, right? So, so we're talking about just that, just that need alone. If, if that's what he's leading, he is not, the energy is not in his provider and it's not in his protector. It is fully in that, it, it's very distracting for him. It's very overwhelming for him mm-hmm. to be too much chemistry, too much sexual attraction. So it might be fun for a while. It will be mm-hmm. addictive. It will not provide a woman with safety, security, and long-term, um, long-term relationship that she's looking for. So does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, so she wants to do that. We see women wanting to do that. And they're like, oh, he's going to be so attracted to me. And they think that's going to give them love. It's not, Mm -hmm. he's not in his energy of love. He's not. In fact, there might even be an emotional connection on top of it, but the urge the sexual urge and the chemistry is so intense. That's where the relation, most of the relationship is going to be. And you don't even get a chance to see how wonderful he might've been. And um, there's a lot to, to digest there, but. Yeah, no, that's, that's another topic. I was just thinking too, that uh, one of the most attractive things, uh, I don't know about all the guys out there, but uh, a woman who's my best friend, you know, is incredibly attractive just because of my best friend. It's someone that I can count on. I can talk to I can call three in the morning. If something's really screwed up, it's just, it's fascinating. But uh, that's, that's what makes somebody attractive. 
And then you go from yeah. there. That's a whole other topic too. But uh, I don't know if guys feel that way. It'd be interesting. Well, as always, I think they you, do. Uh, I think they do. I think the wounding, the wounding rears its ugly head for a lot of us. So the inner child wounding is what must oh. be healed because I think they do feel that way and they do want that. And then the mm-hmm. other SHIT. Can I say that? The other stuff. Yeah, you can say anything you want. I don't care. I'll, I'll be out of here. In <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, the other stuff gets in the way. The the, the mm-hmm. you know the the wounding that the inner child needs that they're trying to get fulfilled in another way gets in the way. But but I agree with you. Men do want that. They want they want a quality, committed relationship with a feminine woman who's their best friend and has their back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's incredibly sexy, by the way. It just is. So mm. if you leave with sexuality, that's very empty because that's only one part of it. But natural sexuality is just being best friends. It just happens. And you don't have to be the most glamorous and you don't have to be the, the tallest. You don't have to have you know, the biggest hair. You don't have any of that kind of stuff. If you're that person who that guy's best friend, it doesn't matter who you are or what you look like. Well, yeah, a little bit. I mean, that's you don't want to be unattractive. Beautiful. You don't want to be well, unattractive. I mean, but what I'm saying is, yeah, just, men are doesn't... visual, and that's another thing too. Men are visual, but look, a yep. woman who loves herself is beautiful, and she'll keep herself healthy because she loves herself. So that's yep. back. And we got a pretty wide range of what we find attractive, by the way. So it's it's not it's not a narrow band. It's incredibly wide range. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't be every man's type, so stop trying to be every man's type because there's no such yeah. thing. Exactly. Wow. All right. Well, Contact have a great week, and yeah. oh yeah. So um, Dorothy at YoniYoon.com, that's Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N. I think I'm changing my branding because people don't know what that means. Uh, but right now it's YoniYoon.com. It sounds, it sounds like website. sushi. Did you order ah! a YoniYoon? <laughs> I, I requested I the YoniYoon with the uh, wasabi okay, well, sauce. Thank so you. My, my Facebook is also YoniYoon.com, Y-O-N-I-Y-U-N, and I teach private somatic um, movement therapy, phone coaching, for feminine energy <clears throat> and self-realization. And I do group classes and Zoom, which I love. It's so much fun. We do movement. We get back into our bodies. It's super sexy. That's it. No, it sounds great. I mean, I can't wait. Like I said, I think it's going to be really fun on Zoom, especially we bring guests on. We're all like looking at each other on camera. Well, this is going to be interesting. I, I think it's going to be a whole new world for us. I think it's going to open up amazing possibilities to add the visual dimension. Uh, and as long as we keep saying the things that we do that are so intellectually stimulating, we can't miss. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. You can probably hear me. I'm dragging my blower around. I should probably get off the radio. <laughs> well, especially if you've got your blower. And I, I won't even ask what that is, given our previous talk. I've got so many leaves. So many leaves here in North oh, that Carolina. Kind of it's beautiful. But... That kind of blower. Yes. I'm sorry. Innuendo, I told you. I live for it. Yeah. Bye, darling. <laughs> Talk to you next week. All right, bye. See ya. <laughs> I'm sorry. The phone. I tell you, everything out of my mouth is an innuendo. I talk to women. I can't help it. It's just it's the way it goes. Anyway, this has been fun. This has been great. I can't believe I made it. Well, I can believe because I have willpower. But uh, I'm going to sleep a lot today. I'm going to recover. I get uh, all my faculties back. Um, tomorrow and Wednesday, I'll be working on uh, a Rumble project, and then we'll. Uh, be working on preserving all my shows, and then also Citizen Legislation Day, which is going to be the world's first showcase of bills written by regular people uh, sent directly to government. So we're going we're gonna, to you know, see what happens. we get some media coverage. We're going to shock a lot of people. It's going to be really interesting. So I played everything I need to play, played all my commercials, announcements, things like that. So let me just close with our Monday music, and I will see you tomorrow. Actually, I'll, I'll <laughs> speak to you tomorrow, but I will see you literally um, on Thursday when we try our first uh, rumble. So uh, 7 a.m. Central Time when we do it all again.